welcome to I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, the Twenty Geeks podcast, where we break down recent releases, usually one movie at a time, but occasionally we go all grab bag. Now, if you're a new listener, that's going to be a disturbing thing to hear, but don't worry, we'll guide you very gently through the process. I am Stephen, and with me, as always, well, actually, yes, as always, as legitimately always, but I guess not with me as always, but <laughs> always, is Vaughn. Hello! Hey Stephen, how are you doing today? It's a it's a bit of a weird recording today. Yeah, usually because um, you know time zone differences. As you may tell from our voices, we're from different parts of the world. Um, <laughs> but usually, I record in the late evening, and you record in the morning. Yes. Um, today, you are recording in the let's call it the early morning. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. We'll cross yeah. into the early morning as this podcast proceeds. Yep. It's currently yeah, 11:45. Yeah. It's currently the late night. Um, we'll see the changing of the guard, the changing of the day, <laughs> and I am recording early in the morning. Um so we have a, a a different vibe, a different vibe, a different dynamic. We'll see how it goes. We have a different structure. So usually we would um talk briefly about some recent releases. And then have a movie to talk through. But because of summer fun, because of extended shenanigans, we are going to make the grab bag into the whole thing. So we're going to go for a number of recent releases, most of which we've both seen, some of which only one of us has seen. And yes, we are going to spoil them indiscriminately. I apologise. Um, we will, <laughs> however, preface the spoilers for each of them. So, so some of them. So let's say, for example, a film that only Vaughn has seen, like Barbarian, for example. It will yes. probably be spoiler light. Um, a film that only I have seen, like Orphan First Kill, <laughs> sadly will be spoiler heavy, um, because I wanted to talk about the ridiculousness that is that film. Um, we'll see how it goes. So, Vaughn, should we kick things off with our first film? Pick from the grab bag. Actually, before we get to the grab bag, I think yes. that we got a couple other things to talk about first. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, first of all, I did just want to very briefly say uh, I'm going to take a minute for myself to... Okay, good, that's important. Yes. <laughs> um, to say on the podcast some fun news for all the listeners um, mm. as of this week. I have officially joined the Seattle Film Critics Society. Very fun, very exciting. It's very impressive. Um, thank you. I'm very it excited a, to be a part of it. A thing that is hard to do, a thing that really means something to not just yourself, but to the website and to all of us that follow your work. Um, Appreciate that. And yeah, and it, it reflects a lot. It's, it, is a, it is a difficult process that, as we know, not everyone, including some very talented writers, get through. Um, it is a close, effective circle. It puts the website in an even better place, which is fantastic, and it means great things for you, and it is really well earned. Well done. Great writing, great rewards. Good job. Thank you. So that's my that's my brief moment for myself. But before we get to our our extended grab bag, yes. I think we got to talk about our last two episodes of the podcast. I haven't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I was involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought we should take some some time on this episode to sort mm -hmm. of do a post mortem on our our rehearsal project yeah. as it wait were. are we rehearsing for the next episode is this a rehearsal <laughs> no <laughs> oh thank god i can't do that again <laughs> All right, until let's... season two at least and then we'll see yeah. what happens then god yeah we yeah that's now i loved the review <laughs> of that show and now i'm just like oh god the gauntlet has been thrown down 
by yourself, I would say. You put yourself in this position. Now we have to do a, a crazy thing for every season of the rehearsal. I think we've, yeah. we've put ourselves in there. All right, let's let's post this mortem. You lead. I don't know how much to that I have to lead with. This was mostly your project. I will say, for those curious, I knew about as little as I could have possibly known going yes. into this. Steven just came to me when we were both watching the show and we decided that it was worth talking about on the yep. podcast. He said, this seems like it would be a funny bit to rehearse the podcast before we do it. And I said, that sounds great. You wanted to kind of follow up my podcast project where I did the grab mm -hmm. bag with all our friends. Wanted to get some friends involved. My initial expectation was that it would be a very small, <laughs> a very <laughs> small thing, a small segment with one of our podcast familiar friends and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it spiraled without my knowledge in any way whatsoever <laughs> into something completely different yeah 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 because yeah. yeah i i, I it's the first i've been part of something where there'll be people listening that'll be like oh, this is this this is stage this is a bit and <laughs> i'm gonna say no <laughs> like it is, it is as yeah the the only thing that we um used dramatic license was pretending that vaughn had no idea there had not been a pre-rehearsed show however right. when we recorded that bit vaughn had not heard the pre-rehearsed show yes um what we actually did is we waited till after the episode that we recorded together and then i'd already well with the help of jack jack produced the little um documentary segment <laughs> so we listened so to that bit together and i watched um, yes. his reactions going through as he was in i'll say escalating disbelief escalating I was, disbelief i was truly blown away by the lengths that had been gone to to make that podcast happen i especially just the involvement of my wife in general i did not expect in any way mm. we're not we're not like practical joke people i think that maybe well. literally never has she like done anything of that sort so it was not something that i expected <laughs> when we were initially talking about this project um she made some passing comment to me about like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Steven, like, if I was playing you? And I was like, oh, well, that would be ridiculous. And then <laughs> <laughs> you made some comment that made me mildly suspicious. So I asked her, I was like, are you a part of this? And she was like, no, of course not. I have nothing to do with it. And I just believed her because it's not something that would <laughs> happen your wife at all. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, all right, whatever. And I just didn't think about it again and had absolutely no suspicion whatsoever yeah yeah we really took advantage of your niceness i apologize <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah no it, it, oh God, it, it went so much better it was there was uh, there was more delays than i even like spoke about on the podcast because they weren't as amusing so one problem we had was like illness of people involved um so you were <laughs> ill with covid thank you yes. for that um so we're very glad to hear that and um, you're looking and sounding a lot better which is great um but um our fake fawn lucas <laughs> got food poisoning on the date of our recording um and so therefore we couldn't do it then and they got pushed back and i was like oh god i've already recorded the documentary parts about this happening and now we're running out of run so yeah it, it, it came together hot in the end um and, and funny enough and i think we we mentioned this at some point somewhere um that ended up making me more suspicious because i feel like i mentioned this on on one of the shows we did or maybe i just mentioned yeah. it to you but like because 
I was watching a movie with all of the people that I would have expected to be playing me at the time yeah. that I knew that you were recording the rehearsal. And so yeah, I was I, like, I needed to it can't be any of these Guy people. <laughs> I just messaged you being like, so you seen any Guy Ritchie movies? I mean, n- n- no pressure, but please reply immediately. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> but Jack, Ben, Calvin, and Cormac are here. Right. I was like, "That's all the that's all the usual suspects." I don't know what I'm. Yeah. I don't know what is what's going on behind the scenes here. Definitely yeah. very far from what I expected, but I think I think it turned out very well. I yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. And listening back, I, I I was worried it would be a thing that I really enjoyed doing and that you would find funny. And listening back, it would be completely alienating and, and ridiculous. Um, so I knew I couldn't be the judge of that because I knew I would enjoy it. But I'm really glad that we've had some really positive feedback from people that. Um, yeah, it seems it. like everyone's um, everyone's very much enjoyed it, and I was not expecting. I was when I was editing it, I was wondering if people were going to actually listen to both episodes yes. because, <laughs> on a base level, it is two episodes that are basically the same thing. Yeah, um, and a similar lengths. So <laughs> right, quite long. <laughs> because you gave me three and a half hours of raw footage, and I was like, "What yeah. am I supposed to do with this?" Oh yeah, you, I want to say on 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 air, you did a terrific job of keeping the loose feel and cutting out <laughs> so much irrelevant stuff that was necessary for the recording, but was not right. necessary for listening back. Um, and also some stuff that um, shouldn't make it to air for a variety of reasons. <laughs> oh, there was. I really can't emphasize enough how much time that you guys spent talking about guy Ritchie, who was not the subject of any of the discussions <laughs> well we decided to because we weren't sure what you thought of guy Ritchie. We, we, we ran one section three times once pretending that you loved him once pretending you were different and once pretending that you hated him which listening back would just be horrendous but right. was a useful and fun process <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting listening to all of it because there were a lot of points like that where it was like you guys clearly like genuinely trying to figure out what the best way to proceed with like the rehearsal was and playing playing me. Um, mm. But then it was like, yeah, but I can't actually keep this in the episode itself because it's not really to listen oh, to it oh, is it's not, not it's not listenable yeah. at all. It's, it's you know, right. The, the, even the show itself is heavily edited and curated. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just like eight hours of Nathan Fielder just like walking around a house right. pretending to be a mum, you know. So yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. That's that's the beginning of our grab bag, I guess. Yeah, thank you for everyone for for listening to those very long episodes in our little project and enjoying it and responding to it. Very maybe, very much appreciated. Maybe you could drop a rating on your podcast app of choice. Yes, please do that. It, I think it, we would normally say that at the end of the episode, but sure, we'll sprinkle it throughout but in the maybe middle. Maybe you should. Why not? Maybe you should. It's literally like the only thing that helps with like podcast algorithm stuff. Um, and I think it's just like number, like just in general, just number of ratings just helps. So even if you yeah. want to be mean and give us four stars, God, how dare you? Just, <laughs> just, just, just that number, that number, grow that number. Because people can't see um, podcast listening stats, but everyone can see how many ratings a thing has got. So it bumps yes. up the list. And it is actually an extinct thing of people listen to this. And we are very grateful that you do. Um, so, we have a, grab a variety bag of, of movies. A variety so, of films. Quite a pleasing variety. I've got... I'm actually going to delete this one because you talked about it on another podcast and you didn't have much to say about Marcel, so I'm deleting it. Uh, I like it. You don't like it as much as me. No. Not really a movie to discuss. Um, but I've got six movies here to talk about. So Damn. Is, and yeah. that's for, for the both of us, right? That's not just for you. 
Yes. <laughs> Phew. That's for a combination of both of us and just me and just you. Thank um, so God. So we're going through these. Um, okay. So first, do you want to talk about hashtag look at me? Yeah, I think I think we should. Um, it's about hashtag look at me. Um, do you want to give a bit a bit of a background to what this film is? Because listeners probably won't have watched this. Yes, so this recently premiered at, I believe, the New York Asian Film Festival, I want to say, is uh, where it recently premiered. And we got uh, sent a screener for it for coverage on the podcast. And I said, mm-hmm. absolutely, we would love so, to yeah. do that. Full disclosure, um, full disclosure. Yeah, so it is a movie from, let me make sure I get the director's name right. Uh, Ken Quek is the director, um, and I'm trying to think of the easiest way to sort of condense this movie. It is, I don't know, how would you how would you describe it? Let, let me open up my letterbox review, actually, because I, at the beginning, um, wrote pretty much like a contextualizing paragraph about like the raison d'etre of this film, um, because like its reason for being, I think, is is really valuable and and, and really important. Totally agree. And, it's, yeah. and it speaks to the things that the film does well. And I want to front by there are actually many things the film does well, and there are actually very many promising elements about this film. And for a large amount of the film, I was charmed by it. Then I was yes. impressed by it, and unfortunately, that did not hold up throughout. Um, but I think it's important that we follow the structure of the film, so to say, and we, we, we highlight some of its um, generally very worthy elements. And yeah. I really want to say this has every mark of being a film that is really trying to do something important, that has its heart completely in the right place. Totally. And for its specific audience, may open and continue conversations. Is it quite guiding them in exactly the right way? No, I don't think so. But is it doing enough? Is it releasing at the right time? Yeah, I think probably. Um, so um, this is a Singaporean film. And I want to make this first bit very, very clear. Um, due to British colonial rule, due to British colonial rule, Singapore has a law still in place called Section 377A. And that law criminalises sex between consenting male adults. Um, I wanted to make that British colonial rule thing very, very clear. Um I, I should know what book that it was. Um, so apologies, but I read a book a while ago that was that was excellent. Um, and it was from a black writer, um, a, a, a political book, and him talking about how when it, being at conferences and stuff, um, people talking about how disgusting it is that certain countries um, criminalise um, homosexuality and what it says about those countries. And he was like, yes, however... Are you aware what the most of those countries have in common? Right. It's British colonialism. The um, British colonial forces take over the country, um, push into the, that country's culture, their specific laws, and during that period, um, the criminalisation and general like bigotry and hate around homosexuality was was a huge part. Um, I mean, to speak a little bit out of my ass, because this could be like half remembered stuff. But there are there are big things to remember about like how that was built up around in Britain. Of you have like this coming from like I'll be honest, like false translations of the Bible. Um, it's the King James Bible that I think has a lot to blame. And this was so this is from the 1600s. This is the first time the Bible was written in English, so therefore it was more available to to the large amount of people. Um, and that was actually also a big part of spreading the English language, even in England. Um, and they made everything when you're translating 
is a huge choice and they were translating a text that was very much and i'm gonna be very careful my language here written poetically and written as parable um and a lot of it was translated very literally um yeah and there is a bit about that was translated into not lying with man and to be stoned um that now people looking back at the sources would say that is a that is a choice um, to right. translate that that way, and from this you get the <laughs> religious background. I mentioned the religious background because the religious background is the, is the huge part of look at me this film. So this yes, film is about um, Christianity, hardcore, hardcore Christianity, um, the hardest of core in Singapore. So therefore, hmm, why is that there anyway? British colonial rule and about this law. This law is interesting in a terrible way. Um, it's interesting because it's 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 arguably unenforced um so it survived a review of the penal code in 2007 um and now the um the i think prime minister i think it's a prime minister i think it's 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 it's, it's that system um yeah lee sen lung um, announced that this year very recently that he is going to and his government is going to repeal it fantastic that's really really good however earlier in this year um the supreme court reaffirmed it i believe um even though they said that you cannot prosecute on it and there was a um ipsos poll which showed that i mean to be honest like most people were still vaguely in support um like the not the majority overall but the largest group of people that saying we support this rule and then the rest was i don't care which means you support it and some saying they're actually against it so this is a really horrible state um of affairs um, because yes. even not enforcing a rule this horrible shapes behaviours and attitudes around it. Yeah, the absolutely. fact that you could be criminalised for consensual male sex is just, that creates the culture around it, that creates the stigma around it and that reflects what people think about things so it is a climate of fear and paranoia and this film is about reflecting that this film is about the normalised hatred of that is in place and then what this film is about, and I think very importantly and very interestingly, is about how the law can step in. And yes, we cannot enforce a law against this thing, but we can enact the law in homophobic ways that are indirect. It's about indirect homophobia. Yeah. Um, I've spoken for a while. Do you want to deal with the setup then of the movie itself now that I've given a bit of like the context? Sure. Um, which very good context, I think, is extremely important because it is very much woven into the film. And I mm. think that it's also critical because this film is directly about that. And then this film that premiered like probably weeks before that law was then announced to be repealed, which I think yeah. is very interesting timeline there. Um, but yeah, the film is about these two brothers, um, one who is gay and one who is uh, straight, and the, I'm trying to make sure I get everything right, but one of them yeah. is a, I guess both of them technically, but they are trying kind of like aspiring YouTubers, and Yeah, it's so very it opens... much like they have like kind of nothing to do, and they're young, they want to right. have fun, yeah, 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 it opens quite that, charmingly. Um, yeah, the really opening sequence is, is really charming, because it's just like these two brothers who you can tell have a very strong bond, and mm-hmm. they're just making silly videos, and they have a great relationship with their mother, mm-hmm. um, who is the only one raising them. And you can tell that it's just like, it's a very close family and they're just having fun 
they're you know trying to kind of do their thing on youtube um and so it's a great initial setup and then it really is the, it's really it yeah really indigenous characters i think the writing is, is is not always there on a dialogue level but the performance is not only very very good they're actually very well directed um yeah and i think a lot of the film is very well directed and it, it therefore it, it really endears you to it in spite of a little bit of clunkiness and in fact it makes the clunkiness endearing and it becomes like part of these relationships it very much really so. quite natural and like and then they introduce a, a, a another character like the the love interest of the straight twin and yes. that's really well handled as well yeah so he has this this girlfriend that he is going out with and he decides to go out with her and his brother really wants to go out with them and enjoy the the nightlife and so they all go yeah. out and as they're relationship improves she's like i want you to come to church with me and my parents to sort of impress my parents because that is important to them yeah they go to this mega christian church. mega church um where the it's very like it's very much this performative st- st- sort of stylized thing where they're trying to make it it's like really well fun this kind of thing right by far i i think it yeah it definitely captures like this an energy that I think is f- recognizable to not just people in that place, but I think it's very familiar, I think, sort of universally to anyone who knows what this kind of thing looks like. Yeah. And sort of this this I idea of these churches that try to sort of energize Christianity, mm. I guess. Yeah, I, I, I want to link our conversation back to what we critiqued about They Slash Them, because this is a case where this film does not do the things that They Slash Them we were critiquing for. So it is presenting, like They Slash Them thinks it's doing, how a certain culture um, and a certain homophobic group wants to present itself as positive and open, right. and it comes in that period. When They Slash Them is just a tonal mishmash and a failure, this is very good at making it clear that it's sinister and a facade yes. and horrible the entire time because it, it, it shows like the way that these like messages are packaged and it shows the effect on the audience and there's a great cut to outside of like it's this like faux intimate space and then you see the facade of it and it's just like this imposing giant building that's really yeah. really effective the speech is really really nicely written um, in terms of being like realistically horrible and how it be presented it's it's very very good and the performance from the um the the pastor the minister I'm yeah not the pastor sure. um yeah he he's really compelling yeah he comes out and you know it's begins as a very typical um christian sermon and then quickly sort of devolves into this it's it's very much this sort of I'm not homophobic, but it is extremely homophobic. Like, he is trying to sort of... He's the fake ally kind of thing where he is talking about how he has gay friends and everything, but also that's not acceptable. And and so it's like this very underhanded, like, evil homophobic sermon that he's giving. And you... The important thing is when it cuts to this group that's sitting together and you start to see the discomfort of these twins next to the quiet support of his girlfriend's parents and it quickly starts to devolve into like, oh, this is extremely uncomfortable. And then the the one twin who is gay 
um, eventually kind of breaks and starts to get extremely upset. Yeah. Storms um, out, um, causes a scene that's overheard by the the parents. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of well, damage has been done to a variety yeah. of people. Obviously, it's most important where the damage has been done. Right. Um, but it's a good scene of, like, complicated drama, and it's really well handled. And this is our inciting incident for the kid that's making YouTube videos decides to make a YouTube video um, mocking the church. And because he's a kid, um, so I think 16, 17, because it, it, it is inspired by a case, right, isn't it? It's inspired by a 16-year-old. I think so, made... yeah. I was reading about this. Again, This is I was reading people writing about this, so this could be just like viewers being wrong. But it seems there was a case where a 16-year-old released a video mocking a similar church um, and was arrested for it. Um, and it seems the point made by the director at Q&A was, to be honest, this 16-year-old that did it wasn't really making any good points, was just being a troll. But the precedent shows someone could have been like right. someone could have had a legitimate case and this would have happened. And that's a really important, and really interesting line of thought. So he makes this purposely, purposely stupid video. It's purposely crude. There's one bit in it um, that I think's the first of the film's major missteps. There's a throwaway um, Islamophobic comment. Now, I'm not surprised yes. that the character would make a throwaway Islamophobic comment. And there could be actually room for that in how the f- movie is presenting like how our ways of protest can be very, very flawed. And then the ways that react to them can still be terrible. And it can show that even those fighting for justice can be guilty of injustice. My problem is that it doesn't deal with that. Doesn't deal with that. Yeah. Um, It brings it up a couple of times later. One to lampshade it by saying you didn't apologize. Like it says something similar to you didn't apologize to the Muslims or it says that you didn't apologize on behalf of Islam. It's it's, it's something quite throwaway and, and similar. In an utterly bizarre scene where occasionally a weird comic register gets in the way. There's this, there's this really weird scene. It's a police interview where a guy just talks about just having sex with his wife in the morning for a long time and it's just really uncomfortable. And yeah. it's not a good scene at all. Um, and then later there is a character who the film goes out its way to make clear is is a Muslim um, and shows yeah. prayer. And then it really frames that character very, very negatively. Yeah. Um, and it's just, so that again, is, it, I, I don't think there's intentionality here, but I think the, the subtext is, is troubling and unchallenged. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think that it is intentional, but the way that it is presented, it ends up feeling like a choice, which is mm. uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I kind of lost my my train of thought there but yeah the the film i think to get into what i think we kind of both agree is mm. one of the film's larger problems is so then because he has made this video um he is then arrested and spends most of the film incarcerated and yeah it's sort of the problem that the film is focused on the struggles of the straight character in a homophobic society, right? Yes, it's 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 a thorny one, isn't it? Because like it yeah. is a, it is a legitimate issue. It's really a legitimate issue of the problem and the precedent is this is the enforceable part of the law, and it's pointing out a very valid um, case of a real hypocrisy of you have this law that's horrendous, and then you are allowing people to be actually horrendous. Um, right, and then punishing those who are speaking up against hatred, 
Um, so the way the law is being functioned is the one that is actually actionable is the one that protects bigotry. So it shows how like homophobia spreads in pernicious ways. That's really interesting. But the variety of choices that get us there, um, does the person incarcerated have to be a straight character? Fundamentally, no. They do not have no. to be. Yeah, um, maybe there's a double burden in showing that. Um, however, it's then how do you set your story? I think if you want to make the film about the the problems of the justice system i don't think you need to lean that far into um the homophobia i think you can show um defamation and i think because they do a good job of setting up our queer character it becomes a shame when the queer character is sidelined even if it was more tertiary i don't think the film would feel as imbalanced and it feels especially imbalanced to me when like a really horrible thing that really happens is shown at the end that shows actual hate continues actual assault and it's it's really it's really nasty and like it should be nasty but it's presented so throwaway because the film doesn't have time for it in its narrative structure yeah i i think that the the problem is that it i think it sort of conflates its two separate things in Mm. a way that ends up damaging both of those things like i think that it could either be just about the trying to live in a society that is constantly that is homophobic and is trying to sideline and push out um, gay people in that way. And I think that that's how the film starts. And I think that that's interesting, like the way that this casual homophobia just exists in this society and permeates because that is the way that the culture is. Or you need to focus on like the failures of the justice system and how that is damaging. And instead it tries to do both and it doesn't do either of them very well i think is sort of yes and because the of issue some core issues we're going to get into um because the, i think it's these it's these issues we're about to get to that compound it and um give me real reason to pause about certain things in the film um it's it's also i'd note that when when we're showing the other side so the the outside of prison story it's also very much centered through the mum as well so it is very much kind of like where it positions its characters there are a lot of yeah. choices. There are a lot of choices here. Um, so, for me, the ultimate problem is actually similarly to they slash them is some of the conclusions it makes about um, about bigotry and the response of yes. there are a few moments where the film relies on this logic that the people that are enacting real hatred damage to the queer community are closeted themselves and oh now i'm not saying that that doesn't happen obviously there are like internalized hatred is a real thing however very real what you show in movies is really important and that is not the majority reality and it's not reflecting of like a wider social reality and what you're doing is you're presenting a film of like infighting where no matter what way you cut it the lgbtqia plus community is the problem is the problem at every aspect here. Yeah. And that's really, really damaging. Yeah, I think by the end of it, it feels like it's not just saying that internalized hatred exists, it's saying that it is the only thing, and it Mm. ends up kind of feeling like just regular hatred doesn't exist, and it's like, no, that exists too. Everyone that is hateful is not also dealing with internalized, you know, homophobia. Like, that's it's a different these are two different things that also that exist simultaneously and you have to separate them and this film only presents one of them 
and that's definitely a problem. To be really pretentious here, and I apologize, like, I go back to this point a lot of just because something exists doesn't mean it needs a film. Um, and if it gets a film, you need to deal with why it exists and what it means that it exists. And the problem, the, the film I go to a lot for that is uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which I really, really hate. Um, and I know a lot of people really, really love, and that's absolutely fine. Um, because it goes back to, like, this is a real thing, this is a real problem, um, so therefore it gets a narrative. And I say, but the way you position that narrative is, is, is really harmful, really damaging, and is really, really pointless. Um, yes, internalised homophobia and hatred exists, but that's such a complex film thing, that needs to be what your film's about. That needs to right. be it, about that kind of struggle. And there are films about that that do that very, very well. Um, that can't be a go-to twist. That can't be one other element, because there are so many layers there. There is so much to unpick there. That is its own topic. It's not a throwaway topic. If that is your thing, that is your lens. Um, and then it needs to be, I think, from a, a very um, related perspective that, that's showing that. I think the, the the biggest issue is that it it does the classic film structure of starts out funny, gets serious. It's a structure that works. Yeah. But the film ends the film ends as a pun, and I think that's again really damaging. It builds up this actually quite effective like thriller scene at the end that almost does what they slash them should have done of it almost shows this kind of like escalating yeah. like Haneke-esque not in execution but in thought like rise of like violence and hatred um, actually it rem- I don't think you've seen this um, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong I'm really sorry um, you've seen a Jarzanka Jarzanka movie you've seen um, the one that I have not seen The Ashes of Purest White yes yes and i've seen loads of the rest of his films and he's he's one of my favorite filmmakers i, I absolutely adore his work um but touch of sin um, which is a brilliant film is about like violence leading to violence leading to violence about right. oppressed communities having no verb to express themselves through apart from that that's a really great thing to make a film about um and the ending there would be shallow op-eds about how oh and then it vilifies the character like no it's not vilifying this character it's showing what is how systems crush two things yeah. and it sets up really nicely of like this man's going to kill this man really brutally and really nastily and it's going to be horrible for everybody involved and then it ends on a joke and the joke is that this guy is and just like and also the, the framing of like bdsm like also as part of yeah. that is also really um, Mm, it, it, it it's such a horrible note to end on it's a real real it's, issue it is because it presents this idea of that internalized homophobia as like a victory and it's yeah, just yeah it's a really bizarre way to end that movie i i just don't i'm not sure what it's really going for with that and i I mean, obviously, I don't think that it, it works at all. No. It, just to end on the final shot that it ends with is so tonally dissonant to me with what the rest of the movie is trying to say. And I, I think I I get the idea of totally. it. It just doesn't work at all in execution. Yeah. It, it wants to be humiliating and it wants to show there is no legitimacy to these mega churches, And that's a very important point to make. And that is great. Yeah. And I really admire a lot of the film. And I really think a lot of it's really well made. And when it is in its zone, and I think quite a lot of the incarceration stuff is actually very powerful. I think a lot of the scenes of him in jail, apart from a few scenes which get into the wider social commentary stuff, which it just can't do very well, are really, really strong. But there are a few I, yeah, points where it really puts itself out there and it really misses um, yeah. And I usually wouldn't mind because I've said it so many times, and as of you, that it's better to watch 
a film swing and miss than Absolutely. just not swing at all. That's always like a better thing a thing to watch. And we'll talk about that probably with other movies of movies that just don't really do anything or go anywhere. Uh, probably on today's podcast, um, I actually think that to a certain extent about some of the larger movies um, this 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 thing will come again and be able to like swinging and not connecting and how that's something that I like about right. it um, but when you swing at something really really important and when you don't miss but you hit something right. else that is an issue yeah yeah I, I mean I definitely think that this film has I, I, and you said it as well it's like this film has its heart in the right place it mm. wants to talk about important things and it does has talk about genuine social things. worth and importance and right. we are not the audience like this may be I, I i think there are things in it that speak universally that are damaging however there are things in it that probably to its specific singaporean audience um that is dealing with these laws there's probably stuff in there that translates perfectly to them and is delivered in a better way than we could ever talk about yes i i, I think that even if we find a lot of the things to be missing or not super successful or ultimately damaging um in a wider sense i think if this film hits that audience the specific singaporean audience and resonates in the sense of them just seeing the destruction Mm. that this casual homophobia causes then that's more important than anything that we've said at all in this whole podcast you know like i ultimately so even though neither of us love this movie it's like if it can I end up succeeding in that way i cautiously recommend that's great to i, I agree i think it's worth it watching to a straight audience i would not recommend it um to someone that is of the community that it aims to talk about because i mean obviously it's entirely up to them but there's the idea of being like i don't think you want to sit through something that's just going to just reflect just horrible perceptions of your identity back right. at you and you know some people just don't need to see certain things but in the same way there are movies that i adore that are more for me than they are for some people like bamboozled were my favorite movies i would recommend that movie primarily to white people who need to be um made to feel uncomfortable um a target yeah. audience can be the we want to cause discomfort and that's fine so yeah that's hashtag look at me um, which actually don't hate the title I'll be honest and I actually really like the poster I like the way that it gets the cross into the hashtag yeah um, I like that it's a, a smart visual treatment um, I learned a bunch so of, I, learned, I learned loads from it I should have known more about Singapore I was so yeah a, a really educational yeah, process I, yeah I think that yeah even though like we said like the film was one thing but it did teach us a lot just about mm. that general general context and the country and what's going on there and that's you know yeah. important in so, its own right thank you very much um, for our eyes being drawn to that yes absolutely um so i'm gonna save i have this one a certain one next but i'm gonna save that for a little bit later do you want to talk about three thousand years of longing i really like this film um i haven't written about it yet because i've been really busy unfortunately um did like finished work went to watch the movie went home worked the rest of the evening but it was a lovely a lovely respite from that um so, 3,000 Years of Longing is the new George Miller film, um, which, yes, Stephen's going to say George Miller of Baby Two Fame, <laughs> but um, this is this is George Miller's first film since Mad Max Free Road, um, yeah. which is wild. That's such a long time ago. Um, which, and not just that, but it's wild to me that Fury Road, which is like such a, a huge movie, like there is, I couldn't find anybody, I think, that hasn't, doesn't at least know of that movie and it's so huge and popular and that mm. this movie is just seems like it's flown so under the radar with any wider audience which is it doesn't but once you watch it isn't that like the least surprising thing like oh it's not surprising to me at all i mean <laughs> yeah. totally yeah 
I, like, I totally get, I mean, giant crazy action movie versus this, it, I don't even know, like, very, like, weird sort of... It is 100% a one for them, one for me thing. Yeah. The only thing that makes it weird is the one for them also happened to be a one for me, that, like, Free right. Road is a big crowd pleaser, but it also has, you know, some, like, cineast cred and is just, like, a phenomenal film. So it, it, it spoke across, like, audience divides in that way so so brilliantly. Um, and it's also the one for them, one for me, things made weirder, when there is almost a decade in between. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, Fury Road took a long yes. time to make. We forget that. Fury Road was right. in, was in like, being made for a long time. It seems that George Miller um, has trouble getting things made due to a, a wide array of factors sometimes. Um, yeah, he definitely, definitely does. But yeah, this is sort of one of his... Yeah, in between movies, I would say. I mean, I guess mm. at this point, because it seems like his wider career is basically like Mad Max, and then in between those movies, he kind of just does whatever he wants, and this is he that, you happy know, feet, well, you know. <laughs> before, right, Happy Feet, or as as you would say, Babe 2, um, and, you know, while we're waiting on Furiosa, we get 3,000 yeah. years of longing. Um, yeah, and but both of us do like this movie a lot. I Which seems really, to be kind of really, really like it. Um, I know I, I get I get affectionately mocked a lot in our circles <laughs> for my three star reviews, in which there are people like Jermaine. Hi, Jermaine, if you're listening, who will, when I post a three star, he will just ask me, "So, do you hate it or not?" <laughs> so there are lots I... of movies that I hate that I give three stars, um, and I get that because it, it's an, it's it's an interesting ranking to give because it's it, it's so indicative of there is stuff in this movie, but I want to have yeah. the wider conversation um this the, there is something here ranking and i also like star rankings are ridiculous this is a movie that right. i really really like but i i can't give it some above three stars because it is it is flimsy it is flawed it, it mostly doesn't work at all on an intellectual or critical level but was i enraptured by it and did i have yeah. a lovely time in the cinema completely I really, really enjoyed. It. I think really fondly of it, and I've only grown more fond of it, even as like the specifics fall away from my brain. I think it's a lovely film. Yeah, I agree completely, and I I agree completely about the the three star thing. I think especially with like us specifically as people who enact the the full star system versus mm. the half star system. Three stars for me range has such a big range. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to like explain because sometimes I'll talk about a movie that i've given three stars and i talk about it very negatively and yeah. sometimes i talk about a movie that i've given three stars and i really like it but it's just kind of that weird middle ground where i'm it like turns it's out not star ratings are just bad, a guide are just an anchor but yes. for text yeah it turns and that's out. and that's why i use full stars because ultimately they don't matter but yeah. it's a useful metric and i like having like my stats and being able yeah. to look at that but mm -hmm. ultimately the score itself doesn't matter but but yeah i i, I like this movie a lot it definitely has issues and it has a lot of things that i don't think it does well but i totally agree ultimately i was very taken by it and i very much enjoyed the the way that it it flows through everything very fluidly and just me in my taste i love sort of the stories about stories approach and Same. so this was very much like Same. i was into it and i was like this is great this is exactly what i want it, it's yeah, I, I, I do think 
because I just think it's really, really good. It's 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 a film that makes me want to intellectualise on its behalf. Um, there is a film that's... Okay, the film is Nope. We'll talk about Nope later. And people <laughs> like yourself have said brilliant things about Nope and have really intellectualised on its behalf. And I just feel like my response to that, as I'll say again, is the film doesn't give me the tools to do that and I just don't, I don't care to. Whereas this film gives me good will, makes me want to. So it, it, it's fun when, when you're like... Your critic brain always comes in, but sometimes yes. you're like... Um, I don't know, you're more like philosophizing brain comes in as well and yeah, makes you want so. to read the film. And this film does that for me. So, all right, I could be like, Calvin wrote a really good review of this film and he is he is spot on. Like, this is listless. The structure isn't there. It's ironic for a film about the importance of stories, that the narrative structures. There are a few times where I thought the film was just going to cut to credits and I've been like, well, that'll be a bad ending. And that happened like five times. I was like, is that the end? Oh, yeah, no, it's it, not. It's, um, it's like... It's a weird to compare it to Return of the King, but it's like that where yeah. it feels like it just keeps ending over and over again. But, and like I, I kept thinking it was over, and then like there's even it like has one no specific discernible narrative direction though. Yeah, that's why. there's there's even one point where it, there's like a long pause between yeah. scenes, and I was like, oh, it's over, and then it fades back in, and, I, and then it was like three years later, and I'm like, oh, there's a whole whole another segment here that I after I thought the movie was completely over. Because I was really enjoying it the whole way through, and I know that our friend Matt had said that it really doesn't stick the landing. And I, I, I think that he is true to an extent that I really, really like the ending. And the first time the credits happened, I was like, "Oh yeah, I get it." Like I was actually really enjoying it. But that being the well, they didn't credit actually. I was like, "That being the ending, that was the end." Is like, well, that does um, sell things. I was like, "Oh, it's not the end." But to go back to my philosophical point, um, this film makes me want to defend it. And my defense of it is: this is a film about longing, hence, hence the yes. title. And so about a love of narratives. And a thing the film makes you constantly do is yearn for narrative, to yearn for these kind of like story structures and by, by like evading them and by like toying into them, by having these self-contained mini stories, but not narrativizing yeah. outside of that, it does create that feeling and it, it reflects in the audience our want to live through stories. And there is a key part in the film that that is only a part of life and that life and stories are not the same thing, and the like parables. So yeah. I, I do think it does pass that onto the audience. Is that me making a defense to cover up a fall in the film? Yes, 100%. But it's still an effective thing for the film to do. I mean, I think this is like, we've got like the perfect collection of films here because it speaks to it, I think, really, really, really well that like we're talking about this movie where if, if a part of it speaks to you and a part of it. Yeah. You know, if you find a part of it to latch onto and connect to, like you're, you know, you love the way that it's talking about stories and it's stories about stories, and then you find a reason to, like you said, like you want to defend it and you come up with those reasons versus, like me and you and our opposite reactions to Nope, where <laughs> I latched onto things in Nope and found reasons to yeah. defend it and and elaborate on those things and you did not, and I think no. that, I mean, I think that's great. Hmm. for 3000 years of longing like that this that this movie can can do that and i think we're in the same boat on this movie we're like yeah. i i found things to latch on to and that i really enjoyed i will say i think the ending is bad i don't like the ending i think um, the ending's really charming i i i i i i cannot say i wasn't like manipulatively emotionally moved by the ending and i really okay, liked interesting. The, i really liked the moment when ildris elba kicked a football and it bounced around <laughs> the pole it was a nice little little moment i i 
I don't know, the ending just felt so of the stories that it was talking about, of this kind of like, I don't know, I, I swear I, I referenced something recently and said this is like Neil Gaiman if bad, and this film feels like what if Neil Gaiman but good? This, this, this. That was, what was that? That was on our rehearsal podcast. Oh, I it think was a, it was that movie that I hadn't seen. It was glorious. The, yeah, yeah, glorious. Of like, I, I, I really like Neil Gaiman as a writer, but like a lot of his tendencies I don't like sometimes. And this gets into that kind of like magical realist, but more kind of like contemporary aspect that reminds me of his work. And it has a bit of a wit to it. it the, the ending is silly and like it comes out of nowhere because I think my, my wife put it really, really well of, well, the main character is not a character. Like she, she's just not. She's just yeah. not a thing. She she exists to be a lens in. It's a really good performance for Dill Swinton, as it pretty much always is, apart from when she's playing, you know, well, let's not talk about Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> but the, that's what, why the film is ultimately not great, is because there's a flimsiness to all of it. It's 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 overly mechanical. The structure is, is not quite there. Every now and then there's a bit that you're like, eh, I don't know about this. And also, it's so big in its like scope and effects that a lot of it doesn't look great, though it's artistically nice. Um, it's it it's really interesting because I think of George Miller as a practical director. Yeah. Um, obviously, aside from Happy Feet, I guess that's all animated, so it doesn't really make a difference. But um, I think of him as a practical director. Like, he did so much work for, um, you know, the all the Mad Max movies are so yeah. visually stunning because they are practically done. Babe is visually stunning because mm. it's got these amazing practical sets that are built out and to then go to this movie where it is a very cgi heavy and a lot of it is beautiful but it is very noticeable to see a george miller film that is not as practically focused and it's, it's a little bit jarring at times i will agree to go back to weird defenses though and again this is a critique of the movie <laughs> it's like it's it's it, it, it's storybook evocative it's it's like illustrations in a thousand yeah. nights but the moment it starts moving is the problem it's like the it is these like snapshots you're like oh yeah the, that actually i think for me the worst bit for me was the beginning one because it actually makes no there's so many bits in this movie that it kind of just like drops and doesn't return to like she's having weird hallucinations for no real reason yeah <laughs> at the beginning yeah um and then uh unlinked to the plot completely um and those bits look bad there's a christmas carol bit towards the beginning that looks like the jim carrey christmas the zemeckis christmas carol that is so yeah, terrible looking um and i definitely don't understand the the hallucinations aspect especially because one of the first things well, i guess she only really hallucinates like two things and then yeah. and the, the story begins at large but the the guy that she hallucinates when she is giving the the lecture or the speech he yeah. appears Marley's later ghost. in Marley's in... ghost. Literally Marley's <laughs> ghost. He appears later in in some of those later scenes when he's telling when Idris Elba's character is telling stories. I noticed him and I was like, oh. But again, it never explains that, and there's no reason for it. Like I don't know why it doesn't add someone from this character, like the the Jin's past, would be. Yeah manifesting as a vision to her when she hasn't even encountered the gin or the bottle or anything yet and i guess it sort of plays with that idea of of fate and everything but i think that's just a thread that's kind of left un unfinished yeah yeah no i totally agree that's the work and like the stories within it because it tells these little narratives it really uh, you, have you seen tarsum sings the fool 
I have not. I just was looking at watching that recently, so I, I need to need to check it out, but I have not watched it yet. The movie reminds me of that a lot. One, because of, to be very broad and perhaps reductive, one, because of the iconography it's pulling from. Um, and by that, I mean we are so used to like Judeo-Christian iconography in films that even go fantastical, and films that go fantasy, we are so used to like the European medieval as yeah. the aesthetic. Um, and I always love when films go for a, a, a different fantastical aesthetic. Um, I really, really love how that stuff looks. And Tarsum Sings The Fall, which is a film that I essentially actually really, really like, is not a film where it's visually stunning, but is there really much to it? No, probably not. No, probably not at all. And maybe like the stories it's actually telling aren't really that worth it, but like there's there's so much to to be made affectionate about because like it involves right. you in it very, very nicely. Yeah, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's much to say about Frozen's Longing apart from it's charming. I was charmed by it. Um, I thought Edris Elba, who I often don't like, I thought he was excellent. Um, it's flimsy. I think my big take is the film would work better if it was a smaller, intimate, more handmade-feeling production. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that completely agree. It's very charming. I, I was very taken by its approach to these smaller stories and i think that what it sort of weaves together through the stories that he tells is really interesting and there's a lot to pull from that but like you said earlier the unfortunate thing is that the main character is so paper thin and not Mm. that interesting i think that there are things that could be interesting like she's a narratologist which obviously plays into this movie that is about stories but it doesn't do anything with that it doesn't Aside yeah. from her wanting to hear his stories, which kind of becomes the narrative, it doesn't do anything. And her lack of characterization means that when it builds up to a point where these stories are over and now we have to wrap up the movie and something has to happen, it just sort of gives her a trait that she needs to have yeah. suddenly so that yes. the movie can progress. Yes. And <laughs> Yes, it does. Again, like the idea of we decide to sort of elaborate on what the movie presents like i can i can understand the idea of like the movie presenting that there is this innate human desire for companionship. to long for things and and right and for companionship and ultimately what is it that we need to sort of keep us going and there's an idea that she sort of realizes that and yeah, I like the idea that like stories demand a storyteller and an audience, and that's a metaphor right. for being together in companionship, and she's not realised that. But to get to what you're saying, there is a point in this movie, about two-thirds of the way in, where it demands you, unsupported by the film, take a huge leap. Like, an yes. unsupported leap. There is a totally out-of-nowhere character turn where I should, and you should, we all should be like, <laughs> no. But if you're like, yeah, I'll give you the massive benefit of the doubt. And the ending entirely, um, like, yes, like entirely is linked to that big leap. And because right. I'd already been like, because I'd already been like, ah, whatever. Like, I was like, in the moment, that makes no sense at all. But whatever, I'll go with it. So therefore, it did work for me. But I had totally understand people were like, no. Yeah, I think my frustration with that is there is that moment, and if I can suspend disbelief and believe that there is that character turn, even though it comes <laughs> out of nowhere, so stupid. that character turn happens, where I, we're talking around it like this isn't the spoiling podcast, but basically she needs to come up with wishes, and her wish is, I want you to love me, I want you to be my companion. I want you to <laughs> want me. Uh, <laughs> and I, 
that's fine. I can believe that it's because just that there's it's just that it has no reason to happen. Right. There's she no reason. Be like, I don't have a wish. I don't wish for anything. I don't. <laughs> Not actually... a bad voice. And you know, you know what, um, Jin? Turns out I don't have a desire. What is it the women want? Actually, love me, love me, say that you love me. <laughs> I, if I can, if I can buy that turn. There's a point later that I think is great. I didn't buy she... it, but I took it. I was like, I'm not buying this, but I walk out of the shop right. with it. Like, <laughs> I don't buy it, but the movie could have sold it to me with mm. the later point where she realizes that that's not possible, that you can't yeah. force someone into... Also out of nowhere. <laughs> right. That you can't force someone into this sort of relationship, that you can't just wish true love out of nowhere fine I, that's a totally fine conclusion and if that was the conclusion of the film i would have been okay with it but then it keeps going and they are still <laughs> together and that's kind of my problem with it is yeah. that it has this yeah. idea that's where nice there's thing. this completely unexpected character turn she realizes maybe that doesn't actually make sense but then that doesn't really matter that she realized that and then they end up basically together at the end of the film anyway and i'm kind of like okay but that's not really the conclusion that the film has built to. Oh, no, not <laughs> like... at all. It doesn't make any sense. It's but it is presented very, very nicely. And the under the undercurrent of logic of that love and connection finds a way and that you can't force it, but it but it will right. be there. And that we love people not just in spite of, but because of their failings and their frailties and whatever. That is the core of the film the whole way through, and because the core is so legitimate and authentic and well expressed, the shonky execution becomes its own kind of again charming. It's 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 the film's a charmer. I really like it. Yeah, and and again, I'm kind of speaking more on the the issues that I have with it, but I do I do really really like this movie. Mm. I don't I don't like the whole <laughs> electromagnetic waves oh, God. and the, the, the it, safe element <laughs> like i i just and, and it's that's not unexpected i think it does do a pretty decent job of of sort of seeding that throughout the film where it sort of just explains that as a being he is sort of made of something different than humans are which is fine because he's a djinn he is a magical being that's totally fine but then it uses that as a reason for when he moves to london and within the middle of bustling human modern society that he was already in a major city he was right like that 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 (laughs) absolutely was actually quite insulting (laughs) (laughs) that like london is so much worse than any other city no i didn't find that no that london london i love london but it is also absolute hellhole i thought it more insulting that it was a reductive take of different cultures like you do realize they have civilization like other places have civilization and modernity like london like yeah like the I mean, they're in a hotel. The only like... place that has modernity. Yes. Like, George, my man. Like, you, <laughs> you flew there for a conference to a major, like, this is a global yeah. conference in a major city. Um, my also silly, like, critique of it is how the film seems to think that magic, wish granting, sometimes is just like instant magic, and sometimes is I bought you a load of books and read them to you. Like, so that was so weird it's to so me. so weird. <laughs> like, sometimes they're like, they wish for like a, a, a magical thing. Some, someone wishes for, someone's like, I wish you were 
at the bottom of the like the Red Sea, and he like teleports instantly. And someone wishes, I wish I had all human knowledge that's useful. And he's like, all right, I'm going to buy you 35 books, and we're going to go through them right. for the rest of your life. And I'm like, what? what? That was so... St- I'm like, what a shitty wish to wish for all knowledge. Like, this <laughs> this woman who is like, who just has such a thirst for to know things and wants to be in a in a better situation than she's in and so she wants knowledge and his solution to that is to give her a bunch of work to do <laughs> like she has to read all these books and do and all these equations her, now to gaslight right. her into relationship by being reliant and then like, and he, like, can, he can hide right. books in bottles <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, yeah yeah it's, it's it's flimsy i could really rip this movie apart but i don't want to and that's that's the... i don't want to either i i i really did like it a lot and it yeah. is like i said like it's stories about stories which is really all i can ask for that is kind of my favorite yeah. kind of yeah. of film so ultimately i like it, this movie it's a quite a lot from me um i think let's save nope for last because I feel like that is that is the contentious discussion that is waiting to happen. The movie kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> tell me about Orphan First Kill. Oh, this movie rules. <laughs> um, this is the malignant. This is this year's malignant. Um, is it as good as malignant? No, no way near. Here's why it's this year's malignant. Because it is from a pedigree um, that means it should be bad. There is no reason why this film should be good. You tell me it's the orphan prequel... Um, and it's from that kind of like school of horror movies. And I'm like, why would this be any good at all? You tell me right. that they've cast the child from Orphan in this prequel, but this happens. So Orphan was 2009, so this happens 13 right. years later, but it's set in 2007. And I'm like, this could not be good. And it's also the malignant of this year. Because it has a third act that is absolutely wild. Of <laughs> it just goes, and That's what? Great. I don't care. Um, this movie is is a wonderful mix of you will never stop laughing. One because the film is hilarious because there are bits about it that are just ridiculous and kind of terrible, and also because it's actually really good and really funny. Um, and that's a perfect combination. It's hilarious every time this grown adult is playing a child. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so funny. She's so obviously an adult. If you've not seen right. the press picture they released, which I think they know it looks hilarious, of everyone in like stilt shoes and just her not brilliant <laughs> their complete like commitment to the bit of not de-aging her in any way not even trying to makes it so brilliant did you see orphan i have not seen orphan don't watch so orphan. like it's okay bad. that's good advice because i seeing everyone excited about orphan first kill i was like well i guess i should my, my first initial worry was that this was a a long franchise that i had to yeah, get into same. but I... and then i realized it's just one movie so I was like, okay, I can check out Orphan, but it's like over two hours long, yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to watch this <laughs> this movie that I'm not even that interested yeah, in. Yeah, so I it's watched two Orphan hours long from 2009. To watch Orphan First Kill. Um, everyone probably knows the twist of Orphan. Um, this movie relies on you knowing the twist from Orphan, which is okay. that the the girl in Orphan, the titular or- Orphan, the eponymous Orphan. I mean, it's that thing of when Batman is an adult. Is he still an orphan? It's that kind of thing. We stop using the word orphan after a while because arguably <laughs> orphan's not an orphan because she's just a grown-ass adult, turns out. She's a grown-ass adult that has a 
vaguely described and somewhat insultingly described and somewhat reductively and maybe like ablessly described condition that means she looks like a child despite being in her late 30s. Okay. It's a cuckoo gotcha. it's a cuckoo in the nest story of it turns out this is a grown adult that realizes she passes a child so uses that to enact machinations. The first okay, film that... orphan is good when it's a poltergeist movie in which it's adult okay. child is poltergeist and just doing like weird stuff to mess with people. On top of that, it's a movie about like alcohol abuse and stillbirth and the grief oh, around that. Wow. All that stuff does not fit in the it's funny when this grown adult that right. presents as child too many things going on takes the handbrake off a car to make the woman think that she's going wild and endangers or just like kills a random woman and then makes the sister watch so they have like a bond that stuff is great there's a great bit in orphan the first movie where the titular orphans just like so she's just put her brother her adopted brother in hospital and no one knows it was her. And he's on the 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 machine, the ER machine. I, I forget what it's called, the, the life support machine. And she, to her adopted um, grandmother, is like, "Can I go get a soda from the machine?" And the grandmother's <laughs> just like, "No, your mummy said you're not allowed to go." She's like, "Oh." And then the grandmother is like, "Okay, fine, go on then." So the orphan walks off, being like, "La di da di da." And then takes a left, walks into the guy's room, takes off his breathing support and, like, throttles him for a bit, basically. Oh, just so he'll die. Okay. Um, and then walks back. And and the mum knows that the orphan's doing this. And the mum's like, you orphan, how dare you? And then she just strolls in, like, holding, like, a candy bar, being like, what, me? I've just been to the vending machine. When the movie's <laughs> oh doing that, God. it absolutely rules. Um, <laughs> but then the rest of it is just not very good at all. And it's, like, way overly serious. Um Orphan First Kill is like, what if we were that movie? What if we were legitimately that movie? Right. And what if we took the twist and we twisted upon the twist? Um, oh, Vaughn, I, I will describe the movie to you because you'll still want to watch it because you may not know this is what the film is about. Um, okay. It rules. So it starts like Halloween 2, as in Halloween 2, the first Halloween 2, of right. violent scene of the titular villain, the orphan, who is now the protagonist of the movie, hell yeah, um, <laughs> breaking out of an asylum. Um, and it's violent and it's nasty. It's not great, but it's got like a like a, a propulsion to it. And she needs a way to assert herself in safety and she latches onto a family. Now this family um, have a child that went missing and she matches the description of that child so she's just like, why not me? And the family, <laughs> okay. weirdly, are like, oh my god, you're our lost daughter. And there are things that mean that it can't make sense. She has a Russian accent. They found her in Estonia. <laughs> um, and it's so many things here. And, and then they keep saying things like, well, you know, for our formative years, she was away in Estonia. I guess that makes sense. We can play along with that. And you're like, this movie is hilarious. Like, she's trying to show herself as orphan and family. Also, the thing that the orphan does is what the orphan wants to do. I love treating the orphan like the orphan is like a, a supernatural villain. The goal of the orphan is to be... Um, is to break up marriages. The goal of the orphan is to seduce the male okay. and ostracize what? the wife so that she... Because she, I mean, she's an adult and she wants adult sexuality but can't get it. Um, 
Got it. So her aim is to ostracize marriages so that she can steal men. That's what she does. Again, this is why the first orphan should be good. So right. there's a really uncomfortable oh, bit premise. in the first orphan where she's coming on really heavily to the dad, and obviously it's really uncomfortable. So this this movie repeats like bits of that. So there are bits where she's using her orphan wiles to seduce men, but it's not uncomfortable because she looks like an adult. <laughs> so it's just an adult just seducing other adults. And I'm like, yeah. I oh, mean, in, in fiction, this is disturbing, but visually, it's not uncomfortable at all. Um, so that's <laughs> funny as hell. Um, so already, it's a fun movie because like she's cuckooed in the nested into this family. I love those storylines. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then, ah. Oh, the twist is, sorry listeners, but it's worth knowing. Oh my god, the twist is, guess what? The son that's been really resistant to the orphan, turns out the son killed the child. And the mum knows the son killed the child. The dad what? doesn't know the child was killed. The dad was made to think the child was gone missing and dad was starting to get suspicious. So therefore, adopting this orphan throws what? the dad off the scent. So the twist what? is that the mum and the brother know, 100% know that the orphan is not oh, who weird. she says she is and they're just playing along because it suits them. And then the film becomes this push and pull, cat and mouse between... It behooves her oh, to have like the upper hand. They're like, ah, right. it behooves us to have the upper hand. And the dads are sent to being like, I like, I love having my daughter back. And it's just hilarious. It's so funny. And the brother's just like, oh, my mum, my mum cares about this whole like getting caught for murder thing. I don't care. I'm not accepting you. Whatever. And it's just <laughs> becomes absolutely wild it's just so fun it's so ridiculous um it leans into its premise so hard it's not a great looking movie it's not always well executed it just goes absolutely stupid it's so much fun and the adult child stuff is hilarious i really 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 enjoyed it that's great i, I do just like the idea in general that like the first movie is an actual child and the twist is that she's adult and the second movie is <laughs> the year. now we're going back in time to that her she's an actual child in the movie but now it's played by an actual adult yeah i, I think mean, that's great well in in the movie she's still supposed to be like mid-30s by this point because there's only set a couple of years before the previous film but, oh okay but, but the casting just ruined i mean but also it's 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 the right decision for the film it's the right decision because it makes oh, yeah. it so much more fun um like it would not be as fun. it's a shame this could be a really good movie um, like legitimately great movie if it was not an orphan film and it was just cast properly um, I forget the name of the movie I know that I know that Matt's seen it I forget it I haven't seen it there is a documentary that's pretty much about this there's a documentary about oh, really? some family that adopted a kid who claimed to be their long lost son even though it was so obvious this kid like spoke French and like interesting and, th and then so then the question becomes so the question becomes, first of all, where did the kid go? The second question goes, why did they accept this new kid? What is right. going on here? And the documentary, I mean, Emma's seen it. I haven't seen it. Matt's seen it. I will watch it at some point. I forget what it's called. Um, I mentioned it to Matt because I was like, is this just the same storyline as that documentary? And he's like, yeah, kind of. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, Interesting. So, yeah, Orphan First Kill. Um, it, it's really good. You should watch it. So I've got a couple of new horror movies to talk about first one i'm going to talk about is sort of the the current talk of the town there this movie is getting all the buzz is barbarian 
Um, I only heard about this movie because you <clears throat> said that it was bad. It was the first I'd heard about this film. <laughs> it's, it, I hadn't heard about it either. This is sort of like a... It seems weird to say like a viral sensation, but that's really the best way I can describe it is that I had heard nothing about this movie and then suddenly it was like all over Twitter, like all these people that I follow talking about this movie um, and talking about how great it is, like talking about how it's very unexpected, like go into it blind, don't know anything about this, um, you know, see it with a crowd, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff. Well, so, did you? Did you go in blind? Did you see it at the crowd? I did. I just kind of went... I haven't seen anything in the theaters. Okay. I have kind of been not seeing enough lately. I mean, I saw 3,000 Years of Longing, but prior to that, I had been kind of not seeing enough. So I was like, nope. sure, I there's not a whole lot out right now. I'll go see this movie. I know literally nothing about it. I looked up nothing about it. I had seen no trailers or anything. So I went in with the recommendation and the setting that the internet had told me to go in with. Yeah. And... The internet will tell you how to watch films. We know this. <laughs> That's true. They will. Uh, I don't get it. I really don't. I I just Wait, finished... Wait, as, as in it was too smart for you? Is that what you're saying? Like, you were confused by it? Too big brain? <laughs> I don't know if you could ever watch this movie and think it was too smart for anyone. I don't think it's... <laughs> I don't think it's trying to do that in any way. Even if you enjoy it, that's not, like... Not that kind of movie. Um... I, I wrote a review, which will be up on the site at, at some point. I don't know if it'll be up before or after this comes out. But I just, I don't think it does, I think it's trying to do a lot of things. And I don't think that it does any of them particularly well. I think that it sets up a lot of expectations. And there were a lot of points where I almost felt tricked by the movie. Like, I felt like... Not, not, I don't, not intentionally tricked by the movie, mm. but I feel like there's a lot of points where I was like, oh, Vaughan, this Vaughan, is really Vaughan, smart. Vaughan, Vaughan, what is the film? I need, I'm sorry, I need You're to right. <laughs> <laughs> I need to backtrack. I need to backtrack. The, the basic premise okay. is the, the main character, this woman is, uh, whose name is Tess. She oh, Dumb, is in Detroit. It. She's in Detroit for a job interview. She goes to this neighborhood in Detroit that is Robocop's there, sort of the, the stereotypical, I would say, visualization of detroit which is extremely Again, dilapidated and run down and she arrives at her airbnb which is like the one nice house oh, so it's in like this run down neighborhood <laughs> exactly the same um so she arrives at this house and she tries to get in it's pouring rain and she can't get into the house she tries the the lockbox and the code that she was given with her reservation Vaughn Vaughn I have an issue you're describing the video game Gone Home Vaughn you you played the video game Gone Home I did not you no you didn't see the video <laughs> you were playing the classic revered video game Gone well, Home I'll keep talking about this and tell me when it is not gone home. <laughs> okay I'm presuming the next thing you say also it being Detroit was different but um so she tries to get in. She can't yep. get in. She calls the the owner of the home. Can't reach anybody. Yep, gone home, um, got it. Still the same. And then a light in the house turns on. So she realizes that different. somebody is already in the house. Yeah, different. Obviously, there should not be any... <laughs> that was very fast. <laughs> um, should not be anybody else in the house. So yeah. rings the doorbell. Guy answers. Yeah, um, not gone home. All right, continue. <laughs> um, it's Bill Skarsgård. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could say again, but I think we, it's taking us right at this point. So, basically, they come to realize that they have somehow both booked this Airbnb at the same time through different cool um, services. Um, 
and obviously she is a single woman in a dilapidated neighborhood in Detroit. There's a strange dude in this house that she is need, needs to stay in, and her, of course, immediate reaction is, I don't want to stay here because I don't know this guy. I have yeah. no idea what's going to happen in this house. And it's Bill Skarsgård. Of course, conveniently, uh, there's some sort of medical convention in town and all the hotels are all booked up. So her only option <laughs> is to stay in the house. So it's kind of the, the first of what I would say are many contrivances. Uh, that Detroit Medic Con, classic Detroit Medic Con. Sure, right. Um, so she's like, all right, I got to stay in this house with this guy. Um, he presents as a very polite guy, but of course you're watching a horror movie, so you're kind of Ooh. very immediately suspicious of him and what might happen with I him. I wonder if he's the titular barbarian. Right. So they end up kind of hanging out that evening, and she ends up finding herself quite endeared by him. Um, she kind of loosely verifies that who he says he is is who he is, Um and she finds like he she finds his wallet and his I- identification matches what he said. And he seems to be all on the up and up. But um, Vaughn, is she who she says she is? Yes, that is not the twist. That would, that would be a, it, so that would be the fun twist if it turns out that she. It was would be like there are so many points in this movie where I think, wow, this movie would be better if it did the other thing instead of the thing that it does. Um. But in the middle of the night, she kind of bump in the night kind of thing. Um, her bedroom door mysteriously opens in the middle of the night. But that's crazy because the guy Keith is asleep. How could my door have opened? Mm. Um, Maybe there's an orphan involved. Actually, <laughs> not really. <gasps> but <laughs> um, so then it kind of devolves into there's a basement door. She goes into the basement then she finds a hidden door in the basement. Um, hidden door leads to a hidden passage. At the end of the hidden passage is a really creepy, disgusting room with a gross bed and a bucket and a camera. And so she's really freaked out by this house. She still doesn't really know what's going on. So it's with martyrs this guy, now. Keith. now it's martyrs. Good. Okay. Um, and and at this point, this is like the the first thirty minutes of the film. Cool. And it reaches a point where I thought that it was making fun of horror films or like it was being a parody of horror films at large where it's got this very simple premise and it basically does all of the horror tropes that in any other movie like the all the tropes that you expect and all the tropes where you would go don't go in there don't do that and then she does it every single time and, and like, it's oh, like one thing after it. another right <laughs> and i was actually very annoying because i had a couple next to me where the woman was doing that the whole time and she was like oh no don't do that oh you idiot why don't you just call the cops and i was just like please stop talking she can't hate you (laughs) it was the worst um so anyway it does this thing where it's like it basically it keeps escalating and so she finds the door to the basement and then she finds the hidden door in the basement and then she goes down the dark hallway through the hidden door in the basement and she finds it was just like a succession of doors for like half an hour and it kind of is that because then <laughs> like she finds this door and then she's freaked out by that and then she ends up backing into like another hidden door through into another longer passageway you're really selling and this film to me actually i'll be honest i'm actually very intrigued i think that this opening is great it does okay. a lot of great things because it does this where it sets up and i'm like okay what it has to be setting up is sort of 
a subversion of these horror tropes where we have these expectations and it's basically like asking the viewer the question of like where how far would you go like would you go through this door and this door and this door this character just keeps going i like it and it is fun and then it's not that and it just is a bunch of horror tropes and that is my problem with it to briefly answer a not emailed but a a a discord comment that we received for the podcast um our our friend bravo uh wanted to ask why i hate fun in reference to my unenjoyment of a barbarian and um my answer is that i don't think it's very fun at all Ah. um i really wanted to have fun fun with it you wish it were fun i wish it were fun i mean a lot of people like you talk about orphan first kill being this year's malignant i see a lot of people talking about barbarian being that i just don't think that it's that at all because i think the main difference between malignant and barbarian is that malignant is self-aware malignant knows exactly what it is it knows the tropes that it is playing with it knows that the genres that it's in conversation with because it's directed by someone who has made other horror movies this is and it reflects on that person's own career filmically throughout in a way that doesn't get spoken about enough barbarian it's not a directorial debut but it's his first horror movie and it's it's not the same thing as malignant it's not self-aware it's trying to do fun things and i appreciate that i just don't think that it is fun i i I want to have fun with it but it's just not (laughs) for me like it sounds to me very much like it wants to be not the new malignant but the new cabin in the woods basically um and I don't know if that's a movie that I would like as much now if I first yeah. did it now also. I mean, it, it definitely wants to be like this. Look at this escalation. Look at these crazy things that are happening. But I just don't... I don't think that's that crazy. I think that it's stuff that I've seen before. I think that it's ideas that I've seen before. And I think that it doesn't know what it's doing. I think that yeah. it feels like it stumbled onto something that okay. a lot of people are latching onto, which is great. But yeah. I really don't see it. Um, that's a real so shame. So that's Barbarian. So let's talk about Nope. Uh, the title <laughs> that keeps giving. Um, so excited for this film. Um, you know, um, I really love Us and Get Out. Um, I really love Us. I think Us is, is brilliant, and I, I don't really get why people don't like it. So sorry for ostracizing <sighs> listeners there. It's just really, well, I, really I good. Well, I don't like Us very much. What? I like... It's just... I it's think Get Out really, is great. I, 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 I don't know what there isn't to like about us. It's really funny. It's really beautiful. Um, it is a really good job of being so directly about something, but also being like ethereal, like metaphor logic the whole way through. Like it, it bounces both layers perfectly um, to the extent that when the surface story gets strange, it's a good way of signifying the surface doesn't matter. Stop caring about the surface. This film never engaged you literally anyway. Why were you trying to? Yeah, so let, let me tell you sort of my, my thoughts on us as well as some sort of caveats, I would say, that go along with that. I mean, I like, I think Get Out is fantastic. I've watched Get Out a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a phenomenal movie. I, I saw an early screening of Get Out. I was so pumped. Um, oh, that's awesome. My good friend, Faith, who may listen to this, um, we went, so Odeon, a cinema chain, occasionally do like unseen movies. So it's like, it's a not, it's a film that's not out yet but we're not telling you what okay. it is. And obviously, because oh, awesome. some people don't like horror movies, they call it Screen right. Unseen. And when it's a horror movie, they call it Scream Unseen. Because, oh, I mean, great. and that's fair. <laughs> because if you turn up to see a secret film and it's a horror film, 
you go, oh, actually, I don't want to watch this, and that's totally fair. Right. That, like, it's 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 pseudo trigger warningy. It's 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 a smart way of doing that. So I messaged Faith, and I was like, because it was in the town where she lived, and I was like, I can't imagine this film not being Get Out. It's a horror movie. It's a film that hasn't come out yet. It's always going to be coming out like next month. Shall right. we take a gamble and go see this film? that I'm pretty sure it's going to be that. Get Out, because I've seen trailers of something called Get Out, and it looks really interesting. And we got there, and we were like, all right, let's just do this appointment. If this isn't Get Out, never mind. But <laughs> wouldn't it be great if it was Get Out? And it was Get Out. And like oh, we watched so awesome. it, and it was like the most... like It was that enthusiastic audience, like you said. Yeah. Um, and it was people like screaming and shouting at it, but in a way that... like Then they weren't in the, oh, no, Get Out! There was so much of that, and it was the right audience, that film. Um, and had such a fun time. I saw it another couple of times in the cinema, um, and I saw it at home a couple of times as well. Um, love that movie. Sorry, Us. I, well, to go back briefly to Get Out, I will say I, I think that I credit Get Out with sort of my initiation and now extreme enjoyment of horror. I think cool. that was like... I had a lot of sort of preconceived ideas of what horror was and what horror could only be before then. And not being a fan of horror and generally just being like, I'm not interested in that. And to me, it was like as before I was like into movies, you know, like my idea of horror was like, it's just not very interesting. And it's just like scared for 90 minutes. What a silly idea. not, Not just that, but it was like, because my exposure to it was just the mainstream horror and mainstream horror at that time was just often i think very very one note and like very much like here's a movie with a bunch of jump scares or here's a movie that is just torture and gore and it was like that is not like it's 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 jump scare stuff and saw is basically what it was and now i like that first saw movie a lot i have not seen most of the rest of them and spiral is awful but anyway Mm. Um, I can't even remember what made me see Get Out in the first place, I mean, but I just a, I think it was a it was huge kind social of, phenomenon. I think it was right. It was, it, hard it was to a huge see. thing. I love Jordan Peele, and I think just it being such a phenomenon, I was like, I'm gonna take a chance on this. I'm just gonna go and see it, see how it goes. And I had such a great time with it. And it was like that movie where I watched it, and I was like, Oh, this is horror can be so many different things, and it can be this, and this is awesome. And, you know, from then on, it was like, okay, I'm up for whatever horror is coming out. That was the great thing about Get Out, because it did get people like you who then realized that, and then people like myself could be like, and guys, horror has been this for years. There's a whole like history. And I don't mean that in a gatekeeper. I mean, but like a yes, get involved. Like, oh, there's a whole history of horror that you're going to love. How exciting. What a great time. Yeah. Um, So then Us comes out a few years later and I'm like, I love Get Out. That's great. This movie looks awesome. I really want to see Us. And again, at this time, I still wasn't, like, into movies in that way. Like, I wasn't, you know, Film boy. reviewing them or writing about them or, or really looking at them in that critical way. And Us came out, and I saw it, and I just was not that impressed. I like a lot of the ideas in it, but then I just did not like the final act at all. I, oh, I felt bitch. like I liked... I liked so much of what it was setting up and then it spends so much time explaining everything that's going on and I just was like I don't need to know any of this. I didn't I liked the the mystery of it. I liked 
I mean, I like the thematic explorations of that movie. I like what it's trying to do. I just did not like how much time it spent explaining to me things that I had no interest in knowing about. And it really soured me on a movie that I mostly liked. And so, like, my caveat is that I watched it at a time yeah. where... I love. I had a very different you. perspective. A lot of people, hundred percent agree with you. I just, I just, I, yeah. To be honest, I just never found it. I, I know people will be like, "What are you talking about?" I never found that film overexplanatory because I feel like it's interesting. That scene is just so because that performance is so good and it's so creepy. It like, is that that monologue to me is just like it's just a powerful, great monologue, and it and, and like it's playing in, and this is why it works so well for me is it is playing in the space of oral storytelling and i don't want to be too reductive and speak outside of my lane here at all but i think people can get what i'm alluding to of how the stories of certain oppressed communities were carried on in that way and our stories of oppression and the idea of like telling your story to that audience and what it actually means that worked so well for me because it was that and because at every point it was clear to me that this is the story that's being told but the story you're being told is not what you're supposed to be getting out of it. And that was handled very, very well. And to link this to Nope straight away, I never got that from Nope at all. Because, like, Us us is a film that is visually and structurally enigmatic and open-ended and ambiguous and goes about its way to be so, even when it is directly explaining. And I think right. that Nope is a film that has a clear, closed-off narrative that is about a thing. And then it has thematic explorations that are entirely external to that narrative, like almost entirely external. And the way that it is, this is a me problem. So if a film leaves things open and mysterious, I will start to delve into it. If you close off a thing, I'm not opening it again. I don't see the point. Okay. Like I. Interesting. When it got to the end of Nope, I was like, well, that's the story done. And this stuff about okay. this monkey and whatever and that whole family actually had nothing to do with that stuff directly like you can go into it indirectly but why would i this is sorted this is closed off i'm done fine it was long interesting and i i I mean i i can't disagree with your assessment of nope i think that's i mean it also just goes back to our conversation about three thousand years of longing where it is just like can you latch onto it or will you not and it's just something where i found a lot to enjoy and a lot to think about and your experience was not the same and i totally totally understand that and i will say my experience watching nope was fantastic because i had that audience that you had for get out where people were so into it and I, i mean that's sort of the the advantage of because i saw this movie early um that's the great thing about those is because you're in a packed theater of people who want to be there yeah. and are in for whatever is about to happen. And man, I, I don't, that might be like the most into it crowd I have, <laughs> I have been in for any movie. People were like full on screaming in like certain scenes, which was just great because I was like, Oh, this is awesome. You know, people are so into this. I just, I just, I don't read, and I've read loads of really good bits about the film, including what you wrote about it. I think people have written beautiful, but so clearly there is stuff there, and like, right. this is clearly a me thing. I just, this film is just like, it's just, tr- Tremors is better than this movie. Like, this is, like, <laughs> like what this film actually delivers for me, I could just watch Tremors, and like, Tremors is more interesting. Um, this film is visually arresting, and like, there are points of it that, that are really, really cool, and an art design thing, but I don't know. It's it's 
it's very very dumb for every time it's almost clever um okay and i just think it's overall articulation at the end is a bit like yeah okay like what and also there are bits of it that i think feel really poorly thought through why does plastic save the day what a stupid point did you not think about that do you not think about in our current era we shouldn't have a film where the solution is the consumption of plastic like that seems really quite reckless like why is that the case that's interesting it's i mean that's that's totally fair it's just something that like did not even cross my mind watching the movie i think that you're not wrong at all i just think like i was caught up enough in what it was presenting and enjoying the the visuals and the way that it was all playing out that sometimes you know that smaller stuff like that yeah not smaller stuff because i feel like that's i don't mean to be like reductive no, 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 it is, um, it is small. but but yeah it's like that stuff just kind of stopped mattering at a certain point and i was just like i'm so along for this ride i think that it is such a fascinating movie like you said it is very visually arresting it is. i think it, the it looks, cinematography it looks is phenomenal one of my i want to make sure i don't get this wrong i believe and i think that i'm correct that it is one of my favorite um yeah hoytman hotema who is one of my favorite um working cinematographers yeah, i think totally. that his his photography for this movie is just outstanding and especially like you get a lot of movies especially horror movies where they don't know how to shoot dark stuff and a lot of this movie is dark and it is shot oh, no, so but also well. a lot of this movie is very very light stuff and i'd say that, oh, yeah. that's the impressive stuff for me of being like actually shooting things where you where you can see everything is right. often the way more difficult thing to do especially oh, when definitely. it's a film that relies on hiding information from you and there's any yeah. just it's so i spoke with emma on the way out of this we, we every time i watch a film together the first question is always what do you think of it and it was that pause of being like i wonder if the person was the same way and i was just like it was okay and i mean we were laughing throughout and having a fun time but at the end we we're like right. eh. and then i was so pleased when her reaction was yeah i agree like it was okay just uh i i do want to like have this conversation and explore it out because it just so underwhelmed me and I just haven't thought about it at all since and I haven't thought about it positively at all since despite there being clearly loads of elements in it that are really interesting but I feel that everything that's interesting in it is me doing thinking for the film I don't think the film does the thinking okay. that it needs to do and it can it can give you gestures at things and you can run away and go that could mean that but I'm like yes but nothing about the narrative encourages that that doesn't link into the actual like plot of the movie so there is a really cool thing that I thought the film was about which is this dichotomy between the physicality of old cinema and the artificiality of modern cinema that's an interesting thing that could be a shallow point and then it takes this idea that but in both those forms there is still room for exploitation and this like deification of the physicality of cinema can also be its yeah. own issue but then the film's not really about that because the narrative ultimately has nothing to do with that and it doesn't piece pieces together to do with that it's just too busy being like here's a thing here's a thing here's a thing i was told a story i don't know if this is true or not that when jordan peele was trying to get get out made the script went around loads and people were like this is really promising but here are some notes here are some notes here are some notes here are some notes and that got that film to be made and it feels to me that now he's in the position where he's just like, this is that first draft that probably Get Out was like. And I'm like, I, I have see, so yeah. I have so many notes. Like, there are really good ideas in here. Pick one, actually link it to the narrative, make it worthwhile. The characters aren't characters. That really irritates me. Like, they are really good performances. They are written funnily. They're not written as people. Like, not as broad out of it. I love the idea of the the suppressed 
black history of Hollywood ultimately has nothing oh, to yeah. do with the movie at all. Nothing to do with the movie. I mean, I mean, maybe yeah, you disagree. I, I can't really disagree, especially that particular thing. I think that it is kind of that thing where I think that's a really interesting idea that it doesn't do a whole lot with. I don't necessarily agree as far as the cinema aspect. I just see it a little bit differently. I think mm. that it's more that the film is about... I mean, I think you're right that it is. I mean, it's aiming at exploitation, and I think that it's aiming at the obsession with with spectacle and with with capturing things in a in a very specific way. And I think that's basically the entire purpose it's of such a um, low Stephen Young's idea. character. It's just such like and an animal. You're not wrong, but I think it does it well. I, I think that it's. I think that it. For me, it pulls that off and. I think that it, along with that, it it plays into this idea of, like, the obsession with spectacle ultimately being, like, your downfall. And I like that that character of, what's his name? Um, He has a great name in the movie, like, what's it? I have to look it up because I don't want to get it wrong because it's a great character name. Um, Antlers Holst, which is a great name. Great name. But, like, his character's obsession with, like, getting the impossible shot, and that is what gets him killed, and... But it's I also, get it's also just, would, like, I, come on. Like, I, and I like I, get, I like these moments in the moment of being like, that's fun. And I like, I mean, right. I think it's, it's, it's... This is a very sin literate film. Um, but, like, I don't know. I listened to an, an interview. Um, this is... Oh, this can, I really This can make me sound horrible and really elitist. So I really apologise <laughs> this already. Um, I listened to an interview with Jordan Peele, who interviews so well. And at the end... And he keeps talking about wider film. And at the end... I don't know if this reference is going to work. At the end, the interview was just like, man, it's like talking to like a walking Empire magazine. I don't know if you know what Empire magazine is, but it's like, it's yeah, like, I, know what that is. Cool, cool, cool. I don't know what travels outside the UK. It's like our mainstream yeah. for magazine. I'm like, and in the minute there was like, oh yeah, you're right. It is like that because though it's interesting and though it has things to say, it's speaking to a kind of audience that just isn't me. And I'm not really that interested in. It's like, okay. it's cine literate, but not in the areas of cinema that I am passionate about that I love about it feels all a bit surface level all a bit blockbustery populist but is taking the is but is also like poking at it and I'm like but you but you are that and I, I don't mean, think I, it in, I don't think it is interestingly I don't like I, I do agree that it is a return to actual meaningful spectacle not in meaning philosophically but meaningful as it is impacts right. you it is impactful spectacle but then it's like I think what ruins the film <laughs> to be very blunt is the scene that should be cut out of the movie because it's ridiculous is the Daft Punk guy that arrives on a bike that just looks like that so he can be in a trailer. There's no reason why he looks like that. And then he's just like, says he's from like TMZ and wants to like film the thing. And it's like, what is this caricature? At least make it be an influencer or a streamer. Was this movie made 10 years ago? That scene is not necessary. You cut that, you could cut that out of the movie and it would make no difference at all. I totally agree with you. Um, I get that it ultimately plays into like a joke and it works in the moment, but also, yeah, you could cut that out completely. It would make no difference at all. It's not impactful on the wider narrative. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say in the sense that I watched this almost two months ago now (laughs) (laughs) because I saw it early and then it, 
took a long time to come out in the uk and then it took a long time for us to now record this podcast yeah. so it's been a very long time and my thoughts are not as fresh um you can read my review on the website i think the movie is great i like it a lot i will say i think that the design of jean jacket the alien is phenomenal and i love that it is weird and creative and There's interesting one and that sequence is that's exactly what i want absolutely phenomenal and is like one of my favorite sequences of the year and in a while which is the people being consumed yes um, what, oh, so but why isn't the rest of the movie like that we've not even talked about the gaudy stuff i hate the gaudy stuff cut all of that out of the movie um like it, it i like the gaudy I, stuff I, I really don't because like it touches on actually exploitative stuff that's really charged imagery and is there to be like all kind of horror and people have spoken about it very intelligently and being like it connects these things but it only connects things like narratively maybe and they're things that don't need to be explained and i think the Stephen Yun character is stupid because if you'd been through again it's because i think the core of this film is really really shallow this idea of being like spectacle yeah. bad her like if he'd been through that really traumatic thing that's like hyper hyperbolically traumatic it's it's way more traumatic than it has to be like the monkey just like brutally murdering someone with like a brick or whatever he does basically it's just like what like that's way too much um and then for him to like look back at it nostalgically and like to make a thing about it i'm like i can't connect these bits of this character this character is just there to facilitate a theme that i don't believe in to begin with and isn't a that interesting theme and there are actual examples of like animal mistreatment in hollywood that are worth exploring it, it, it just it's just clunky I, I mean, I I can connect those things and I would explain, but I don't think it's really worth spending a bunch of time of like us debating a specific <laughs> C like narrative thread um, in this movie. This whole this whole Gordy thing um, and this podcast is now long already, and we have not read emails yet. Um, I hate the Gordy, but stuff. yeah, I, so I like I Nope hate, a lot. I, I totally I totally understand why it is not a movie that you connected with at all and i totally understand especially because it, i think it is it is very divergent from the films that jordan peele has made before where those were very specifically and directly charged in a very specific way they're very blunt in a specific yeah. way and this movie is not doing the same thing which i think is I think it's, I mean, obviously it's fine. He wants to do something different and that's great. Um, but I totally get why when you are interested in those things and that is the kind of film that you're looking for and then something completely different comes out that does not do those things and does not do, or is not trying even, I think, to do the same thing. I totally get why that doesn't connect with you at all. And I think for me, it's because the Gordy sequences are in the style of us. Like they have that kind of like yeah. the way they're filmed and they just, I don't know, this, it just seems to build up to that moment of like a fist bump that I'm like, oh yeah, it's like the monkey paw logo that's your production company. I see what you did there. Like It's, like, <laughs> it's, it, it's a load of free-floating ideas that i can make coalesce and i agree because then no, you make the point you could get those films those things that, that is you doing i'm sorry to be insulting that is you doing that i don't think the movie no you're totally the right. movie doesn't totally, do any of that yeah the movie just goes like here's five things but also the actual narrative of the you could admittedly people like the gaudy film the gaudy scenes but you could cut them out and the narrative would be the same it would be exactly the same no you're right um, i think you're totally right so and but then again there are films where I get like I've defended and I even like emailed David about this once that scene in Fargo which is completely disconnected from the rest of the film is my favorite scene in Fargo the bit the um Michael Haneke I can't remember the character's name but when he like goes out to Twin Cities to to Francis McDormand has that conversation 
And for me, that's the crux oh, yeah, of the yeah. film. And you could take that scene out. You could take that scene out. The film would be the same. But it, it goes back to what is the pleasure in this film? And for me, right. the propulsion of Nope is narrative because it spends the first half being like, what's going on? What's going on? My only questions are like, what is going on? And then my only satisfaction is that is what is going on. But because in yeah. Fargo... I'm engaged in character study. I'm engaged in wider ideas. I'm engaged in its darkness and what it's saying. Because the film never gets me that way, I have no interest in the... I'm like Everything else is just diverged. Like, like, I actually only want to know the solution here because that's the only thing you've prepped me for. I don't care about this thing. Um, and again, it's a me thing. But yeah, the film and me, it's good. It is good. And I really want to element that... The, emphasize, the visual elements are stunning. And I love yeah, the way that the animal moves amazing. and like the climax is cool. The Akira bit is dumb, but I'm here for its dumbness. <laughs> um, and I really like, and there are bits of it that I will get on board with. It's clever. It's really great that they use an artifact of physical cinema to ultimately yeah. kill this CG monster. That's really funny. And I love they're re recreating this poster point. That's really funny. And that's really cool. Like, but it's just too goddamn long. Cut it down, make it about something interesting, and don't be dumb. I I get everything you're saying. Uh, I just, it's not like fresh enough in my mind for me to be able to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. refute things um, it's all right. on the spot. Most people agree and with it's you. It's also almost <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> Most people very um, much agree with you. So you, you have everybody else on your side. Um, But we spent a lot of time on this. I think I'm probably going to have to cut out my excessive um explanation of everything that happens in barbarians <laughs> this podcast is done if you want ridiculously to have a, long a bonus episode where vaughn explains barbarian to me and i'm actually very interested in that, that exists um, um but anyway we've got some emails cool i like so emails. Let's, let's read some emails <laughs> this time, Stephen has not been prepped. Um, so first, we have a very, very long email. Oh, actually, I have read this one. David. I lie already. He sent me this as a message, so I would be. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, a very long email that I pared down just for the sake of time, which I'm now extra glad I did, just because this podcast is running long. Yeah, baby. Um, so Five star I apologize, time. David, in advance if I totally butchered the uh intent of your message but i tried to do my best to keep it intact <laughs> um it's still quite long even though i tried to cut it down um so without further ado hello spoilers Hi. usually i approach you with some quirky questions to either make you laugh or terrorize you with spur of the moment decisions to be made but this <laughs> week i was struck by comments from the previous episodes on the rehearsal which was a phenomenal machination, I must say. Kudos to you both for such an insane and ambitious product. Uh, all the kudos goes to Stephen for planning all of that out. I'll take it. I'll uh, take I just it. put it. I just. I just edited it. Um, at the end of the first episode, you received an email from an unassociated listener who found the podcast through the divine intervention of the YouTube algorithm. The listener sparked a point of contention from Stephen regarding the sanctity and importance of what it means to view a film properly, be it on the screen or on a high-resolution home release or on YouTube. I am an advocate proponent of the theater viewing experience. I compared it, perhaps pretentiously at length, in laudatory terms to a divine-like experience in a piece I wrote about the glory of returning to cinemas during the pandemic. I think it's a sacred institution, and I constantly urge colleagues to give their time and money to local independent theaters who are the ones curating and providing such important yeah. titles for our viewing that the corporate chains so often ignore. 
Uh, totally agree. Support your local theaters. But I must agree with Stephen on the matter. We cannot sanctify the cinema-going experience as the sole definitive way to see a movie, even at the behest of a filmmaker's intent. Aside from the experience of the cinema itself, one of my other pet concerns is preservation. Mm. Preservation, I believe, is the root of the branch that is canonization. After all, you can't canonize something that no longer exists. As streaming services more and more as of late prove their fickle stance towards ownership and preservation... I am continually reminded of how vital democratized access is to both art and history. Yeah. There are so many factors that can alter how you see a film. Your mood going in, the people you see it with, how bright the room is, any outside information you learned about it going in, the geopolitical concerns of the time as it was, ma- it was made, etc., etc. But the art is the art, and the circumstances under which you see it will always have an effect, but they don't change the work itself. You change, and your opinion can change, even if only by virtue of time and place. And here I want to return to my main point. Preservation is curation is canonization. The films we herald today and see as classics are only that way because the vast majority of film watchers have had access to those supposedly important films. Um, Which is interesting. You talked about this a little bit on the recent episode of Office Hours that you guys just put out. Mm. Um, With the WALL-E release um, on Criterion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the thing to always, and I think David puts it perfectly there, is the films that we have accepted as the great films are only accepted that way because they were the films that people right. could watch. Um, it, yes. people, and we are in a great new age. People being like, this lost classic. And be like, well, yeah, it's because like, they're a great... It's why I love world cinema is because there are great things being made everywhere at all points. And it's just phenomenal. And I don't know, it just like re- resist the canon as much as you can. Resist the canon. Yes. Um which we can talk about more, but let me finish this email first. Now, it turns out that most of those films are important and are great, but they've only been allowed to be recognized as such because they've been allowed into yeah. the limelight and have been held there since their inception. What about the films that never got a proper distribution? What about the films that were lost forever? There's lots of stories about pioneering silent films that influenced and established major conventions of the form that we know almost nothing about because they're gone forever. Don't don't they deserve a place in the pantheon? In some cases, we do know because they miraculously survived, or in the case of more modern films, were rediscovered by later audiences and reevaluated as true classics. Some of those films only eventually reached people through shoddy home video releases or bootleg copies distributed at high volume. What is YouTube if not the next step in that evolution? To yep. build upon my now extraneous final point, <laughs> distribution is preservation, is curation, is canonization. Yep. Do you know why American media is so all-consuming and homogenous across the globe? It's because of the volume at which it's exported the above everyone else this is especially true for film and always has been since the dawn of its invention how are smaller countries even supposed to compete this is why the democratization of art as you put it is so vital because it gives a platform to those otherwise overwhelmed films these corporate juggernauts would otherwise smother if youtube is the only way to see some obscure but moving title from paraguay that doesn't make it any less affecting of a piece of art it's never been a better time for movie lovers of all stripes, and accessibility and distribution of movies has never been wider. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it could be better still. It could be more free. And we don't need to assign definitive cinematic experience labels to make that process more difficult. A film is more than the way we see it or hear it or witness it in general. And it's not a contained experience. You can always see it again. So yeah, Stephen, you're 100% right. Thank you. The act of experience it is far more important than how you see it for all the above reasons and then some. Hope this wasn't too rambly. I'm not going to reread it to make sure there aren't any errors. <laughs> Best of luck getting through all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, 
I, I have very little so, yeah. to add. I think, I, yeah, obviously because he's agreeing with me and then adding to what I say. Um, I just, <laughs> I just like for the audience that after they've been saying that I've been wrong about a movie for like ten minutes, and now they can say, oh yeah, Stephen was right. So I think we should just leave it on that point that <laughs> Stephen was right. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's not much I can add to that. I think that's all absolutely true. And thank you, David, for sending that in. I am sorry for having to cut so much of it yeah. out, um, but time is a constraint that we have unfortunately because yeah i mean and I, this is uh like i said already long but I, I, one thing i will say is i'm i have booked two like event cinema things for this upcoming week um so i'm gonna go see a reissue of the harder they come a film i've never seen before and i could just watch i could just watch it right now um yeah but it's a reissue because it's been 50 years of jamaican independence and it's a really like important film in film history that i've never watched and i'm like yeah i'm gonna go to the local our house cinema and watch that movie uh, because that's yeah. gonna be my favorite way to watch it i've also booked an imax ticket for the new david bowie documentary on friday because it, it's awesome releasing early in imax i'm like yes i want to go see that in imax right but could just watch it other ways i still will seek out and love those cinema experience where possible but the film's the film love the film yeah yeah I, and i'm to go with that, like, I'm really excited because um, Calvert and I are going to go see the new restoration of Daisies this month. <gasps> I've seen Daisies, Whoa! it is a phenomenal movie, Whoa! but Calvin has not seen it. And I think that's like, that's the, I mean, what a great way to experience that movie Whoa! for the first time. Um, so very excited for Calvin to see Daisies. Oh, I love Daisies. Um, I love Daisies so much. Phenomenal movie. Um, but speaking of our listener who stumbled across us yep. from the algorithms is emailed in again. Oh no. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. This person was actually, I like that you keep listening though. You probably don't like me. I know it's, it's, <laughs> um, so welcome back Lorcan. Um, and thank you for emailing in again. Hi, Stephen and Vaughn, and shout out to Lucas. <laughs> I'm applauding the innovative turn of your latest podcast. Thank if you. the uncommon eclecticism of your choice of films to discuss wasn't already a signal that you had something interesting to offer, then the <laughs> effort you put into your latest two-parter so is much. an unequivocal demonstration of the fact. Well done. Thank you. I'm glad my email was fun and that it was from a stranger who reached you th purely through the <laughs> algorithms. It was, I'm sure, even more fun for me to hear my few points dealt with in turn and each with such consideration. I appreciate that and would love to respond in kind. Thank you. The mention of gatekeeping brought to mind an author, a literary scholar, whose new book I began this week. His name is Mark McGurl, who I am not familiar nope. with. I do not know if you are. Nope. Um, his brief... <laughs> His previous book could be described as an argument against gatekeeping. Yeah. Our anachronistic prejudices for the one over the many ones, which is a phrase from the final page. His new book's subtitle is The Novel in the Age of Amazon, and is broadly mm. about fiction from the 2010s. It is not different in spirit to his previous book, but it does, if you choose to view it that way, propose a quite manageable canon of essential books from the last decade or 15 years, much as that might be counter to the broad intention of the two books. Yeah. In their thesis, it would be acting as though if it were a hundred years ago saying, so I guess, I guess Knausgaard is our Proust, and if I invest enough in him, so be it, if I read nothing else new this year. That is in the spirit of gatekeeping, but it could also be valorized as slow consumption or something. That is how I look at my approach to cinema. I had a fair amount of resistance to Nitrum before the gunshop scene, actually. Whether mm. it is indeed interesting is debatable, but in its crushing heaviness, its restraint and visual elegance, it is the type of film I most like. I have seen the Haneke film. Hey, awesome. Do you find 
Do you find comedy in the glaciation or alienation effects even in the presentation of the sincerity of the security guard's religious belief? Anarchy is deeply inscrutable sometimes. I suppose I didn't think about much. I, didn't, I suppose I didn't think much about the film after I watched it. Interesting. Um, here's a final comment, but I'll let you respond um, if you have any comments about Haneke. I, I mean, I love Michael Haneke. I, the thing I find with Michael Haneke is the first time I watch any of his films, I take them not as comedic, and often the second time I watch them, I'm like, actually, because I, I know that Calvin watched Funny Games and had that reaction that I had the first time I watched it, being like. Yeah, I get it. It's a joke. It's because it's not funny. The second time I watch Funny Games, Funny Games is a very funny movie. Um, it's actually, but, oh yeah, but it's it's not funny the first time at all because it is so confronting. So I could imagine rewatching um, Chronology of Chance. I'm being like, there's some really I, never underestimate Michael Haneke. Um, he's he seems a bit like a prick, but he's he's often very very correct. <laughs> so I think there is dark clever humor in a lot of his stuff and he does not view the world so single-mindedly i bet even um the white ribbon i'd watch again and be like actually this is a comedy banger um but you know maybe not um (laughs) yeah and i think the glaciation trilogy they are films that make me engage with them thoughtfully the whole way through and i have actually thought about them a lot since because i also think they're just like very structurally interesting um i'm glad that you've watched them and i yeah it's, it's nice that we agree on nitram the idea of being like the that one scene is 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 the scene and that is why it is a film that i like ultimately um though i was very kind of like resistant as you said uh, this is a far longer message than the last, which seemed to take a lot of airtime as it was. Don't worry, it's still shorter than David's. Um, <laughs> but it's enough if you just receive it as confirmation that I heard your last podcast you. and got a kick out of them. All the best, Lorcan. Thank you so much for emailing in, and I'm so glad that you are still listening. That's just awesome. Um, yeah. Just okay. awesome that anyone anyone would stumble across this like that. Yeah, and, and I'm going to say it again. And then continue listening and be engaging with it. I think that's just, just so awesome. The, the eloquence of the emails that you keep writing in are making me think about things, yeah. challenging my perceptions about things, making me have to make points. Um, it's such brilliant pushback. Mentioning people that I don't know of, love it. Fantastic. Thank you for engaging. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, I think even though you are mostly engaging with Steven, which I totally understand. I, I like, that's just the idea of why I love the email segment in yeah. general, just the way that we can talk to people who are listening to the podcast. And if you have comments, then you are more than welcome to let us know no matter what those comments are. And we will read them and we will respond to them. Yes. So please always send us your comments. Speaking of spoiling at gmail.com. For, yes. Uh, we have one final email from, our very good friend Bib. Friend of the show. Um, but you know what, Lorcan? You're also a friend of the show. You've reached official yes. friend of the show status now. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, so, Bib, first off, I'd just like to congratulate you on the creative triumph of your rehearsal <laughs> episodes. Though two two hour long podcasts about the same thing may seem like a slog at first, you somehow made both episodes both outwardly funny and interesting, but also so subtly hilarious through Stephen trying his best to push for certain conversation threads. <laughs> it's comedy working on such a specific level but it's working so well Thank so big you. shout out to you two lucas mall and all the other people at the twin geeks who helped out yeah jack um, calvin murph heroes like yeah <laughs> just everything came together so well it was very very great and i'm just again very glad that people are listening to all of it and responding to it yeah what a ridiculous um, I haven't actually seen any of the movies you're discussing because <laughs> I've barely seen any 2022 releases, but here's some questions anyways. Um, this first question. <laughs> what is your favorite of the alternate titles for Nope? Um, 
this is in a bunch of languages that I do not speak. Oh, yes. Pronounce properly. Yeah, love but, it. Love it, love it. Um, um, is, this, is this my time to talk about, like, translated titles in other countries and how they're often absolutely brilliant? Of My favourite one being um, The Hangover in France is called Very Bad Trip. Oh, that's great. In English! I, in English! I feel like you've told me that before, but that's great. That's awesome. Um... Well, I won't attempt to pronounce um, most of these, yeah. but the one that I do love, my favorite of the alternate titles, which is the one that stands out because it's just Little Green Men, and I don't know what country that's from, oh. and I don't even know why it's the title for Note, because that movie is not that, but it's a great title. This is this is, this is Memories of a Merman, right? This is the same reason why Matt Farley is naming his new movie out, because <laughs> it's just like, you, you Google translate right. something to the extent that you actually lose the actual meaning and you get Little Green Men. Which is funny because, well, there's actually not green, I guess they're little gray men in the movie, but that's like the movie's fake out, yeah. <laughs> is that there's not actually little green men. Yeah. Um, so this is a question I really like. Um, does 3,000 years indicate any trajectory for Miller's future style? I know Furiosa is on the horizon, and Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron are ready to hop on for Fury Road 2 after that. Is there anything here that shifts your expectations for these projects for better or worse, or whatever other trajectory exists? Um, George Miller seems to be perennially interested in using big things to do small things. Um, seems to be the trajectory of his career post um, Thunderdome, I would say. Because Babe 2 is that. Also, I know I'm a joke about that yeah. movie, but Babe 2 is, is using grandiosity to actually be quite a small movie. Um, Fury Road is using the giant stuff to tell a very effective, simple and thematically potent story. And longing is again using the grandeur to be the intimacy. That seems to be his concern now, and that really interests me. Yeah, I agree. I I think that thematically, yes, I will agree. I mean, it is it is very much that where it is this big, very big thing that is about something very small and intimate. Um, whether it does or doesn't completely pull that off, mm. I think that that in itself is a good trajectory. I think that. The trajectory that I hope does not continue is the reliance on the CG stuff. I, I don't gotta expect hope that that's to a COVID continue. thing because th that is a COVID movie, as is made cl clear by usage of masks in the film at some points. I'm gonna hope that some of the, dare I say, shortcuts to visual splendor are like it's what you got to do at the time to make the movie. I I think that it's also that this is a film that is sort of like a i mean it's fantasy and it's living in not just it's living in a past that is fantasized in a certain way where there are you know creatures and weird things that are not do not exist and yeah. i think that there's a certain degree of it you know you have a gin that is dissolving into particles and that's not something you can really do <laughs> practically no. and i think that that doesn't speak to a trajectory because he's going to return to fury road where the entire purpose of that universe is that it is a world that comes from our world and that the whole design philosophy of fury road was how do we create things that could have been created by yeah, real, really, this, really this, physical, this apocalypse hugely physical right so and I, narrative and i can't yeah. imagine that that really signals anything um yeah because it would be strange if he totally changed up the philosophy of creating the mad max movies yeah um so i would hope that in that 
sense it's not um, yeah cool a great trajectory but agreed uh question for you very specifically are there any moments in 3000 years that evoke babe pig in the city <laughs> I, I, I think the tragedy is no i think that the, the that's that's i would i would agree there's there's yeah it's 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 there's, there's not much i think there's the, the sweetness of it the sweetness in the spite of it being yeah ridiculous and overblown and like altered to hell is a is a bit babe pig in the city and you know like there's there's a lot of stranger in strange that's... land stuff that is the core of pig in the city yeah which i think is a lot of just george miller in general i think uh, oh is, is kind of there's one scene that I actually think is the worst scene of the film, which okay. seemed a bit more like the kind of thing that a babe movie would do better. So for me, the worst scene of the film was the completely random interaction with two bigoted neighbors for no reason. And they seemed, oh, so weird. They seemed like random cartoon exaggerated characters that is a thing he does so well in Babe Pig in the City of everyone is just times three all... caricature. Um, right, but they don't fit in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's very weird. That that bit seemed more like that of him being back in that mode, but in a way that didn't make sense and fit. So sadly, right. that's that's the connection. <laughs> um, <laughs> to continue, um, I saw a track on the Nope soundtrack called "Exuma the Obia Man." It turns out this is from an album of the same name by Exuma from 1970. It definitely reminds me of some of the freak folk, psychedelic folk from something like the Wicker Man soundtrack, but it's also so much more. This isn't really a question, more of a recommendation to check out this album from a really great Bahamian artist. If the song is a part of a major event in the movie, all the better. Uh, I will say I listened to the song. It's a very good song. I don't remember it in the movie because I saw it several months ago now. And because the movie's Um, not very good, so that's probably why. (laughs) Um... I don't remember it, but it's a very good song, and I will have to listen to the rest of that album because I liked it a lot. Um, and now I want to rewatch The Wicker Man. Um, on the topic of film soundtracks, have there been any highlights in these films or any releases this year, for that matter, where the use of music just absolutely elevates the experience by a noticeable amount? That, if not, and if music question. has been shipped recently, question. just use any of music and film that sticks out is fine, too. Um, yeah, this is a very me question, and I was actually obviously it kind of caused me to look through my my list of movies and see like what are the standouts i mean usually how i sort of consume film music is if i watch a movie and i like the music i will immediately try to find it in wherever i can find it um unfortunately it is not very accessible and it takes a lot of hunting down to find the film soundtracks that i want Mm -hmm. um so I, i i have a giant playlist of tons of songs from film soundtracks that i really like and i was looking through it and i was like there's not a whole lot from this year last year there were a lot of movies where i really loved the the film scores and there's not been a whole lot this year which is really unfortunate um so hopefully that continues more in the rest of the year but i will say um i think one that is very exceptional is i really really love the music in magic spot yeah um, i think that has a a fantastic score yes. um i really love i mean that movie is phenomenal in general but i think that is absolutely the mm. of the motorn films that i've seen that is the most um the most effectively that music is used um and and the most effectively they use a film score and it's just really great i really like the music in that movie um and movie that i was just talking about earlier i think saloon has yeah phenomenal said. music um really exceptional 
um, and I have already been listening to to one of the songs from that movie, although I am not sure that the score itself has been released yet. Um, and then one that I will mention, which is a terrible movie that I do not recommend that anybody watch, Firestarter. but Firestarter yeah. <laughs> is only a watchable movie because of John Carpenter's good. score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the score is good enough that I gave a movie that is almost certainly a one-star movie two stars, so... Yeah. If that means anything. I also think if the score was in a better film, you'd realise that it's not like a top tier John Carpenter score, but because it's there's such a dichotomy yes, between score and movie. Um, I'm not going to go for film score. I'm going to go for use of music. And I'm going to say The Lad Goodbye um, showed me how, oh, yes. reminded me how, how powerful music choices can be in a movie, but we've talked a lot about that and, and why that is the case. Uh, all right. Uh, I could ask a bunch more questions, but I don't want to overload you too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm as thinking as hell, and I'm going to spoil things anymore. <laughs> Quoting Howard Beale. Um, so thank you, Beb, for emailing in, and thank you, everyone, for emailing in. Uh, already briefly mentioned, but please, if you have any comments or questions or yeah. want to respond to anything from any episode that you have listened to, or just want to ask us questions in general or anything at all, please send us an email. The email is thinkingofspoiling at gmail.com or wherever you can find us, whether it's on Discord or Letterboxd or anywhere. If you just want to leave a comment to be read on the podcast, just do so and we will read it. That's true. Um, what do you have to recommend this week? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot this was a seg... Ah! I've not forgot um, this was a segment. Um, yeah, I not I've not watched many movies recently. Uh, uh, um, well, while um, you search for a recommendation, I can provide mine. So I just started. Um, I decided to complete uh, Richard Linklater's filmography. Oh, cool! Um, because he's you'd one of my the, favorite you'd directors. You'd be a slacker on that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um which I, a movie I really love. Slacker's fantastic. Um, I think you would really like that movie. Um, but. So I started watching some of his other movies that I have not seen, and what I'm going to recommend is his movie Tape, which is a movie that I don't think I even knew existed until I decided to look through his filmography and see what I hadn't seen. But what an interesting movie it is. Um, Ethan Hawke and uh, <gasps> Robert Sean Leonard and uh, Uma Thurman. Hmm. So it's... And it's a Richard Linklater movie where three people just talk the whole time. And it is fascinating. It's, um, it's an interesting movie where it's early two thousands and it's shot on like, um, digital, like camcorder kind of thing. I shouldn't say digital, but like it's, so it's very like fuzzy, grainy, low quality, DV, but it DV. kind of, yeah, it, it, it kind of works for what the movie is doing, which is these, um, two friends from high school who are kind of meeting back up one of them is a filmmaker who's showing his film at a film festival and his friend um which is ethan hawk is there to um watch his movie and it becomes this really interesting like it's an interest it's a really i mean it's richard linklater character study basically but it's kind of this really interesting dynamic of how these two characters reconnect and then their relationship, like you slowly start to peel the layers back and see like what is at the core of these characters and what has happened in their past and how that's affecting things now. 
um, I will say, um, content warning wise, the film discusses a rape that happened or may have happened in the past. Um, but it is just these characters in a room. And I will say when that first was brought up, I was immediately like, Ooh, don't like that. But I think that it ends up being very successful in what it's trying to do. And it's actually very interesting and ends up being a very effective use of, um, that thematic thread. Yeah because of what it ultimately ends up doing with it, which I won't spoil, but I think it's really interesting. Um, so, I mean, obviously, do not watch if that is not something that you want to be um, hearing about, but I think that it is, for being something that, when that was brought up, I was very concerned about. I think it definitely turned those expectations on me because mm-hmm. it was ended up not being as worrying as i uh, thought it would be when that was initially brought up but i think it is a very good movie um and a movie that i didn't know existed until recently so uh very good richard linklater movie. Awesome. um okay um so the most i mean i watched the queen's corgi yesterday so i could i could recommend <laughs> that um which i gave a fab- i know you won't though i gave a fabulous one star <laughs> rating to but um watch this space uh jack davenport and i watched that movie together and recorded a commentary track for it that you may be able to access at some time in the future we have plans so if you want to watch i am excited if you want to watch the queen's corgi you can <laughs> listen to us get so detached from the movie halfway through that we just share <laughs> anecdotes for a while um um all right do i i mean I mean, the most notable thing I've watched recently is, is Goodbye Dragon Inn, and I, I don't think that needs recommending because I feel that I mean, if you don't know what Goodbye Dragon Inn is, it's people watching. It's one of Sai's favorite films. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The filmmaker put it in his own top ten side of sound, which <laughs> Baller love it so much. He's like, yeah, I'm in a good movie, I'm what? Um, it's a really, that. really good movie. I have like one criticism with it that that, that does impact things for me. But read my review of that. I think it's a, it's a fabulous film. I think the cinema is. Um, I'm going to recommend the, the video game Immortality. I don't care. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. <laughs> I recommend video game. You absolutely can um, do what you want. It's yeah. on Letterboxd. Why not? Yeah, it's on Letterboxd. Um, if you want to hear what it's about, listen to the most recent. Office Hours episode of the Stacks podcast, which I did, where and I, I talk very about interested. immortality at length. It is a film. It's three films. It's only film. It's only free film. But you can interact with it. Um, if you like genre film and his and preservation and films about the boundary between art and reality, and also how art like can all be things. exploitative and how industries are built on the backs of exploiting specifically women over time and what that means and maybe revenge stories and maybe not revenge stories the female lens how the female lens can be co-opted what that even means it's it's evocative really really cool if you like films you will like this game if you like these kind of films it is not a video game video game you don't need to be good at video games all you do is click you click on scenes and you select things so don't let that put you off get a trial of pc game pass or xbox game pass <laughs> And just download it, play it. If you like the kind of movies we like, you will like this video game. It's really, really interesting. It's a great uniting of interactive storytelling, but film. Immortality. Awesome. Yeah, I will absolutely be downloading that and playing it it's because you have so very good, much sold so me on good. it. It's so good. Right, any last uh, comments before we sign off here? Um yeah um listen to our wider podcasts um please do please do please do the twin geeks network is broad um we've got some great stuff happening with the daydream cast they've been at pax so they've got all the exclusives 
um there the we are getting to kind of like winding up the the big altman experiments that's fascinating what a hell of an undertaking from those folks the things to happen in um pod breaks continues with abandon of some unpicking of new releases um they were talking about harry styles the most recent episode with a guest so that's that's interesting there you go um so do worry darling about that i guess <laughs> the name of that podcast was also like a reference to to that um and the stacks is part of the twin geeks network so i can plug it there there's sure some is. stacks things happening soon watch this space um stuff is going to happen um and i'm very excited about it the long-awaited hour-long saturn tango video essay coming soon um wow. and with that, that is an undertaking to put together yeah thank you jack um, with that ushers in <laughs> an age of stacks that i think people are going to be excited about hopefully we'll see um it's a bit of a make or break moment we'll see awesome that is very exciting yeah. i am looking forward to uh finding out more about that myself yes um all right well yeah please listen to our other shows and if for some reason you ended up here uh through the algorithms which you might have as we have as we have learned please go to the twingeeks.com yeah. which is where we uh live um, and generally if you think we don't know that you're listening email we love that like we're just like if you, yes please because we we, <laughs> we, we love that our friends everybody. email in and we love that so much and i like there is a sense of community here but yeah the, the excitement of the random email i just i just i want to i want to feel that again yeah uh so please email in or again just wherever you can find us if you want to drop us a line then we will talk to you on the show and again like we said at the beginning if you could rate the podcast if you like it then that would be greatly appreciated if you don't like it don't rate it in fact Um, if you don't like it why have you listened to this far what are you doing yeah this is a long podcast to have listened to all the way through if you didn't like it so um give us give us (laughs) give us five stars and never listen again (laughs) give us five stars and that's it um (laughs) until next time everybody i'm thinking of ending this podcast